over just like that. Boom, it was over just like that for the Dodgers today as they went down 3-2 to two for the Cardinals. But the boom was a big booming home run by Matt Adams in the seventh inning, the dreaded seventh inning for the Dodgers. And once again, they fell apart at the end of the game. Once again, Clayton Kershaw did not get it done in the postseason. And what was a season full of hope for the Dodgers and fans like me is now over. And... Now all I really have left to do is to root against the Giants and hope that Washington pulls out two games in a row to move on to play the Cardinals. And from that point, I really won't care who wins or loses, to be honest. So I did that earlier today, watching that game. And yeah, people saying I'm probably not going to be in that good of a mood for tonight's show. And that's actually true, but I'll just have to plod through it. Fortunately, I have a co-host who will be able to help ease my pain, and that is Daredevil, who's become a semi-regular co-host of the show, and he's done a good job every time. We're having him back tonight, and let's put him on as the show gets going very close to on time tonight. Hello, Daredevil. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hey, Todd. How you doing? Well, uh, wish the Dodgers were coming back to play on Thursday, but yeah, that's the way yeah. it goes. One of these days, one of these days I'm going to get to see the Dodgers make it to the World Series again. Last time it happened was when I was 16 years old, and I'm hearing a little bit of an echo, so I'm going to hang up and call you right back. That's the last thing I want to deal with tonight is an echo. Jeez. Okay. Yeah, I think this is better. I think it's better. Better? Yeah, Skype just has issues like that. Anyway. Well, Todd, I was going to say, I feel bad for you, you know. But I'm a Cubs fan, so I don't feel too bad for you. (laughs) In fact, it was the Dodgers that ruined the chance for the Cubs. The big chance they had in 2008. I mean, that's... 2008, you know. It's a really good team, and... uh, Manny Ramirez on steroids ruined the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, Dempster kind of shit the bed, but yeah. So here's what we have today to talk about on the show, a number of topics. For those of you that don't like when I ramble on about one topic, you will enjoy this show because there is no major topic tonight that's going to take a lot of time. Just a lot of little topics that add up. I think we have like 12 different little topics tonight. So just go from one to the next and cover all these little stories going on here in the world of poker. This lead story we're going to do tonight is one that's getting relatively little coverage in the poker media. I know there's a thread on 2 plus 2 about it, and there's been some mention of this, but most people in poker don't know that this happened, and most people in poker are not aware that poker players who carry a lot of cash are in danger but not in danger necessarily from criminals, but from the police. That's right, the police, corrupt police, seized $100,000 from two California poker players who were traveling in Iowa. I'll tell you what happened here, what you need to watch out for if you're traveling with a lot of cash by car, or even by plane, 
and how the police are not necessarily your friends in these situations, especially in small towns. Well, Poker Fraud Alert has covered a lot of different stories involving people in poker doing things that were not very nice. And occasionally I will get an email from someone who has been profiled in the scam scandals and shadiness portion of the Poker Fraud Alert forum who wants me to take down my posts about them. And not because I wrote anything incorrect about them, not because they were falsely accused, but because they feel that they've made things right and they don't want this as a black mark on their record when people try to Google them. Well, this puts me in a funny position when I get messages like that. On one hand, I want to incentivize people to do the right thing and make right what they did wrong. But on the other hand, I don't like covering up anything or censoring the truth, especially the truth about someone's wrongdoing. Well, I got one of those messages from Vladimir Geshkinbain, also known as Bain, who basically stole money that people staked him for the main event in 2013, and then he finished 62nd in that main event. He wants the thread about that to be removed, and he claims that he has paid his backers finally. So talk about what he's asking me to do, why, and what my real concern is about this. Something I like to do on this show is to call out those who were involved in the AP and UB scandals and try to make sure that they never get a job in the poker industry or the legalized gambling industry in this country. I think these people should be blackballed and basically kept out of our community. There is a successful, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, a successful campaign to get a former UB co-conspirator fired from her job. This was a, a woman who worked at uh, the LVH as the poker room manager, Bonnie Lanehouse, and outrage in the poker community, partially through people on this show, and partially, I think, because I pranked her once she was at work and pretended to be Chico Loco, who was sent down there by Russ Hamilton. She was a good friend of Russ Hamilton, by the way, at one time. Um, she got fired from there. And she played victim, but th there was no victimization here at all. She was very much involved in the UB cheating scandal. But this is not about Bonnie Lanehose. That's old news. What's not so old news is that we have another former employee of Absolute Poker who is now working in the legalized gaming industry, this time in the New Jersey legalized online gaming market. So... I'll tell you who it is, and I will give some suggestions about what we should do about this. Last week on the show, we mentioned a poster on 2 Plus 2 known as Private World. Private World will not say who he is, but he has a lot of different stories about the world of super high-stakes poker. Claims to be intimately acquainted with everybody in that little world there, and it's interesting stuff to read because even players like me who play semi-high games, I don't run in the circles of the nosebleed type games. I'm not playing with Tom Dwan or uh, any of those other guys who play really, really high, and I never will be in those games. 
So I know as much about those games as you probably do. But uh, this person, Private World, claims that he is part of that whole community, and he's been spilling all kinds of dirt, which may or may not be true. To add a twist to it, Private World last week claimed that he was making it all up and that he was just pretty much trolling the community, and now he's back to saying no, he was actually being honest about it, and his lie about lying was a lie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a big mess, and to even make things more complicated, Jungle Man, Daniel Cates, showed up in the thread and accused Private World of being Viffer, which there's been some speculation on, but Jungle Man's actually saying that he's sure of it now, and Private World is making some interesting accusations about Tom Dwan. So we'll talk about what's going on over there with Private World, whether he's real, whether he's Viffer, whether he's Tom Dwan himself, and also have a little bit of a discussion of whether or not he should be allowed to do this on 2 Plus 2. Should he be allowed to post these things when there's no verification that any of his stories are real? Party Poker has introduced something new. They're always introducing new things to try to make the fish more comfortable on the site. A lot of sites these days hate pro poker players and hate poker grinders especially. The grinders are not the pros you think of on TV or the people who uh, everyone's excited to play with, but most of these online grinders are fairly unknown people who just sit there all day and play a ton of games at once and are very good players usually and extract a lot of money out of the fish. But there's no glamour in being a grinder and the fish really don't enjoy playing with the grinders and uh, the sites hate the grinders because these grinders take money out of the poker economy. You know, they win, they cash out, and they beat the fish pretty quickly. So Party Poker has been trying for quite some time to introduce various measures to stop the grinders from winning as much money, such as segregating tables and other stuff like that. They've introduced a new concept called casual cash games, and I'll describe what that is, and I'll give you my opinion on the casual cash games. Well, the Ravel Casino in Atlantic City is a $2.4 billion property. It's with a B. $2.4 billion property. Very, very beautiful place. Very extravagant place. But unfortunately, it was designed very poorly. And it failed miserably. And it closed. Well, it has been sold for a sum of money that's much less than you would expect. We'll talk about... Who bought it, and what's going to happen from here? The Epic Poker League, also known as the Epic Fail League, that Annie Duke and Jeffrey Pollock were behind, the one that promised a million-dollar free roll to the top 27 finishers in that league that never gave the free roll and stiffed everyone. They also stiffed a lot of employees, a lot of contract employees, such as people who worked as bloggers, other forms of media, uh, people who worked as, uh, as dealers, uh, people who did a whole lot of, a whole variety of jobs for them did not get paid. Well, surprisingly, there have been some payments made a long time after the Epic Poker League folded. Matt Savage reported getting one. He's a tournament director. And the... 
blogger known as Short Stack Seamus, who, by the way, I know listens to this show, and I appreciate that. I read your blog, by the way. It's a good blog. But Short Stack Seamus, who's blogged about this show before, said that he got a check as well for some blogging work he did for them. So we'll talk about this payment that Epic Poker League is making and whether this is a good sign for the people who are expecting their free roll or are owed other money from the Epic Poker League. By the way, Annie Duke and Jeffrey Pollock made six figures, multiple six figures, from their time there, and they didn't give a penny of that back. Dan Shack, who is, well, he likes to see himself as a professional poker player, but in reality he's a hedge fund manager, and all his money came from that and not from his poker play. He enters all those really big high roller events, so he has an impressive overall cash figure, but I have to imagine he's down overall lifetime in tournament poker. Uh, he's the one formerly married to Beth Shack, the woman obsessed with her shoe collection. She claims it's worth $6 million and likes to claim that she won all the money for her shoe collection playing poker. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Dan Shack's in some trouble, and we'll talk about what's going on with him. Phil Ivey is going to be on 60 Minutes, or not not the traditional 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes Sports, which airs on uh, Showtime, but he's going to be on there, I believe, tonight at 10 p.m. I guess for the East Coast people, it'll be in 13 minutes, talking about his side of the edge-sorting lawsuit he's involved with involving Crockford's Casino in the U.K. And that lawsuit, by the way, is expected to be decided next week. And we will play a little promo for... Phil Ivey's appearance and talk about that lawsuit, who I think is in the right. Bitcoin is struggling again. Bitcoin held steady for a long time in the 500 type range, but has experienced another crash. And while we've had a temporary stabilization after the crash, not a return to what it was, but a stabilization to where it's not falling further, is this the beginning of a major collapse of Bitcoin? We will speculate on that. Obviously, nobody knows. Finally, and maybe we'll get this done before it gets too late, I'll try to prank that restaurant in Arizona, Amy's Baking Company. We tried last week, and I stupidly called after 9 o'clock after they closed, but I think they deserve a prank call. And what I was going to do last week is what I will do this week. Last week, I was combining two prank calls. I, I pranked the scammer who tried to trick me into sending him money when he pretended to be from Dell. And I yeah, pranked him good. last week. And I'm going to prank Amy's Bakery pretending to be that guy from Dell. <laughs> so well, I'm just I'm stealing a character from a scammer to prank Amy's Bakery. But I'm not going to try to scam her or anything. I'm just going to uh, see what, if she'll fall for it. But obviously I'm not going to try to collect any money. So uh, that's our agenda. Oh, one more thing. An editorial, and a lot of people are asking me to talk about the subject. Wired.com had an article about two video poker players who were arrested in Vegas for uh, basically, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was in Vegas where they got arrested or, or some other casino, but the, they got arrested for cheating video poker through a flaw they found in certain Game King machines. And I posted about this back in November. This is an old story. 
but Wired just wrote about it recently. So everyone wants me to talk about this. There's a debate about the whole thing today on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum. I will give my opinion as to whether these guys should have been arrested as part of the editorial, and I will give you my opinion as to what I believe is advantage play and what I believe is cheating. I think they're two different things. Beating the casino is fine, in my opinion. Cheating the casino is a different story, and they're not the same thing. I I hate when people say to me, oh, you card count? Oh, you're a cheater. No, I'm not. I'm not a cheater. Card counting is not cheating. But directly cheating the casino is cheating. If I bring a, a mirror with me to look at the cards being dealt, the face-down cards, uh, yeah, that's cheating. That I don't support. I do support advantage play where you take existing games and figure out ways to beat them. That's the casino's problem for not uh, developing their games properly and allowing themselves to be beat. That's not cheating. So that's the agenda tonight, and let's jump right in. Before we jump right in, let me give you the basic information about this show, which I usually do before the agenda, but, you know, this show has no order to it. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I am. You can also text the main phone number, which is 775-372-8355. I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. And I'm already going to read a few texts. I just got, well, I've been doing the intro to this show. Make sure if you do call, you show your caller ID by dialing star 82 beforehand or just making sure the option to call without blocking your caller ID uh, is what's enabled. If you don't show your caller ID, you just won't get through. If you call and I don't answer the phone, don't panic. That just means I'm in the middle of something, middle of talking about something. Call back in about 15 minutes, and I will try to get to your call. If I miss it, don't just hammer it over and over. The free roll tonight. The free roll is at 7.40 p.m. inside the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room to play. But it's completely free. You don't even need play chips. Tonight, the free roll is $75. Good free roll. $35 for first. I think that was the price for first last week, too. 20 for second. 13 for third. 7 for fourth. 35, 20, 13, and 7. The money did not come from me. It never does. It came from our listeners. And those listeners would be Natural Born Hustler gave 20. I Am Greek gave 10. Danzo gave 15, and he gave 15 for a very specific reason. That was on a show near the end, he, pro- he challenged me. He challenged me to play the current affair sound effect 10 straight times. He didn't think I would. He said, I'll donate, donate 10 bucks to the free roll if you play the current affair sound effect 10 straight times. And I'm sure he was expecting me to refuse. Well, I'll do anything for money. I'm a cheap Jew. So I did. I played it <laughs> 10 times in a row. I'm not going to do it again. Once is enough for right now, unless you want to offer me another 10 bucks. But 
he sent 10 and then he sent another five because he took a while to send the money. So thank you to Danzo for that. A listener named Brett, who is not a member of the forum, but just likes to listen to the show, sent $10 and I appreciate that. Finally, $20 came from a source that does not want to be named, but they say the $20 is in honor of Gay Jew Magoo. So there you go. That's how we got our $75 for the free roll. 7.40 p.m., no limit hold'em. Good luck if you choose to play. There is late registration for 25 minutes, by the way. If you want to follow along in the chat room, you can do that. That's near the top of the screen. Just click chat. You need an account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, and you need a flash-enabled device, meaning you cannot chat if you have an iPhone or an iPad. Well, I guess you can if you have one. Just You can't use those to chat. So there we go. We got it all out of the way, all this uh, beginning garbage of the show we do every week. I've had people before ask me, can you please note in the show's description when all this stuff ends when you get to the real topics? Because we spend like half an hour on this stuff. But uh, I was doing it for a while, and I forgot. But I'll try to remember this time that it, I don't know, about 23 minutes into the show or so is when we're getting going. So let's take a look at the chat room. Uh, someone asking me through PM in the chat, I plan on watching the 60-minute special tonight. There's someone on the East Coast. Would you like me to call in later with a report on it? But please, right, please do not read this on the air. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I, you got to put that first. You got to put. Uh, at least I didn't say who it was from. But he's. Uh, yeah, I mean, call in unless you want to. Don't want to give away who you are. But yeah, you got to say first. Please don't read this on air, and then second, say what you don't want me to read. <laughs> you can't. Uh, you can't do it backwards. You can't do it back. It, it reminds me of what we talked about on the show last week, where. My science teacher in eighth grade had us do all this crap in the lab, and then the final thing, the final instruction in the lab was, if you've done nothing yet, just turn this in blank. And that was that was how you got an A if you read through the whole thing without doing anything. So I guess I didn't learn from what my science teacher pulled on me back in 1986 and gave me an F. So sorry about reading that. But uh, anybody who watches this wants to call in. I, I won't out you as the guy or as not the guy who PM'd me here. I don't know why it's a secret, but whatever. I see we have several East Coast people that are going to bow out of this show in a few minutes and watch this Phil Ivey segment. I mean, that's fine. You don't have to commit to the show live. I understand. Here's some text we received from the 954 area code. More people commit suicide in Las Vegas than any other place. Hmm. Reason, and do you hear about that living there? 16,000 homicides last year in the U.S., 30,000 people committed suicide last year in the U.S. And then this person also mentioned, they gave me an update, that underground poker was canned after one episode. That doesn't surprise me. It was stupid. I I couldn't even get through the whole thing. It was boring. It was contrived. So That's the Phil Locke and Antonio Esfandiari show. They got rid of it after one episode. It apparently didn't catch on. I guess there was not a good reception to it, but I understand that. If you want to do something like that, make it real. Don't hire fake players. They hire teamsters to pretend like they're poker players. That's not the way to make a good show about poker. So it didn't go over well. It's gone, apparently. I didn't know it was canceled, but it doesn't surprise me. From the 941 area code, 
Condolences on your Dodgers. Kershaw may be Kovacs during the regular season, but he sure fucking sucks postseason. Guess I can't argue with that. It's weird how he p- pitches so well for six innings and gets bummed, but you know he's had a problem with the Cardinals. I don't even know if it's a postseason thing with him or if it's just he can't handle the Cardinals. The Cardinals have killed him in the postseason, and they've beaten him in the regular season a lot too. He just can't handle the Cardinals. I don't know why. I think it's maybe even getting in his head now. And I guess that's it for right now. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five is the phone number. People are comparing Clayton Kershaw now instead of to Sandy Koufax. They're comparing him to Peyton Manning. Mm, a bit early for that. But... Yeah, it is a bit early for that. I, I want to see how he does against a team other than the Cardinals. I mean, he did okay last year in, uh, against the Braves. Yeah, I mean, that's it's just, true. It's just the Cardinals, they kill him. They kill him. So, you know, I, I posted this earlier, so I'm not even Monday morning quarterbacking. I posted earlier, way before the game, that if you're not a Dodgers fan, you should bet on the Cardinals today because the Cardinals were like plus 150, which I thought was obscene. I was hoping mm-hmm. the Dodgers would win, but I, I was a little bit doubtful about the whole thing, and definitely I did not think the Dodgers were the overwhelming favorite. But like plus 150... This means the Dodgers had an over 60% chance to win, according to the odds makers. I didn't think that was true at all. So, indeed, they didn't. And that was that. Uh, SMI Florida, uh, I did get your $25 for the free roll. We're going to use that in a subsequent week. Thank you for that. And let's uh, let's get on to our topics here. Whoever wants to tune me out for the Ivy thing, I understand, but... Let's get on with our topics. Well, we had uh, a co-host here who didn't last very long. In fact, it's the first co-host I ever hung up on. That was Marty, a.k.a. Judonk, a.k.a. Tide. Mm -hmm. I I gave it a shot, but uh, he got drunk. I told him not to, but he did. He thought he was exercising a loophole. I said, don't get drunk before the show. He said, well, okay, I'm not getting drunk before the show. I'm getting drunk during the show. (laughs) Right. So, and he did. So, you know, he kept interrupting me. He was getting obnoxious, and I was tolerating it for a while. Uh, but uh, eventually, he started blasting music over me because he didn't like the topic I was talking about. Nobody can do that to me on my show. I mean, I, that's that's disrespectful for many co-hosts, and I, I can't picture Daredevil blasting music when he doesn't like the topic. But anyway, one topic he did discuss earlier before the drunken meltdown was an experience he had in Oregon with the small-town police there. Now, I think he handled a lot of that incorrectly, but I also think the police there were being abusive with him. And I won't get into his whole story. You can go look up those other episodes if you want to hear about it. But it is a fact that small-town police are notoriously corrupt in the United States. Uh, The reason for this, uh, there's a few reasons behind it. Uh, First of all, there's very little... There's very few checks and balances in small towns. Uh, yes, they, te- they they technically can be they, they technically have to answer to the state and the FBI, and they can get in trouble for committing various abuses. But it hardly ever happens unless it gets really extreme. Uh, so basically, these small towns, especially ones that kind of out in the middle of nowhere with no one really to watch over them but themselves, 
uh, they get away with what they want. Uh, the city officials, the police, they're all in cahoots. Uh, they all act like kings over there. And if you piss any of those people off, then your life's going to be made hell. And if you're someone passing through these small towns, you are seen as a cash cow. Now, the most traditional way that they extract money out of people passing through small towns is to manufacture some kind of bogus or semi-bogus traffic violation, pull you over and give you an expensive ticket. And they know you're going to have to go all the way back there to fight it. And the judge, a lot of times, is uh, in cahoots with them as well and will always rule against you if you're right. But they know most people can't even fight it who are passing through a small town and live hundreds or thousands of miles away. So things they'll do is lower the speed limit down to something ridiculous like 25 miles per hour on the main highway. And then if you go 26, they pull you over. Stuff like that. That's the most tame of what is done by small town police to extract money out of people. But a new big business has emerged in small towns, and that is trying to pull over cars from out of state that they suspect might have money that they can seize, money or other valuables that they can seize under very, very flimsy pretenses and that become very difficult for the person to get back. And uh, they target these cars. They look for the out-of-state place. They pull them over. They manufacture a phony reason to search these cars, such as a drug-sniffing dog that somehow has sniffed drugs, even though there are no drugs anywhere near the car, but the, the dog probably has a signal it knows to pretend like it's sniffed drugs. And then they search your car and seize things, including cash. So uh, this has become a scam, basically, that small towns, small town police forces are, are perpetrating upon unwitting passers-by. And it's really, really bad. And I remember I saw an episode of The Rockford Files, and of course this is an old show, this is from the 70s, but there was a whole episode about the Rockford of The Rockford Files about just this, where Jim Rockford was passing through, had $10,000 on him that a client had given to him for some reason, and uh, they manufactured a phony rape charge against him, complete with a girl that was in cahoots with the whole thing to make the whole thing up. And so not only did they confiscate his $10,000 and pretend like they didn't know where it went, but uh, they also demanded he pay a $20,000 fine to get out of the rape charges. And you know the whole premise of that episode was that this is the way this town had been supporting itself is just by pulling people over with these bogus charges and, and just collecting a ton of money from people by manufacturing crimes that they didn't really commit. And whenever people would complain about it, it would fall on deaf ears. Now, of course, in the Rockford Files, there was a happy ending where they eventually clamped down on the corrupt sheriff and the corrupt mayor of this town, and they went to prison. But in real life, it's a lot tougher than that. In real life, usually these towns get away with it. Well, this occurred in Iowa to two poker players. It's like a a real-life Rockford Files over there. bring up the story here. So there were two poker players, and keep in mind these were not young punks. These were not uh, 
kids who are 19 years old that made a ton of money online or something or 21-year-olds flaunting their money everywhere and driving around arrogantly. These were two middle-aged guys, William, a.k.a. Bart Davis, and John Numerskiki. I didn't just stutter there. That's really his name, Numerskiki. Really weird name, N-E-W-M-E-R-Z-K-Y-C-K-Y. I can't even, I mean, I think that's how you pronounce it, Numerskiki. <laughs> Anyway, that he he was uh, arrested. I think that uh, probably the most challenging part of this case was fitting his name on the booking form. <laughs> but uh, here's what happened: they were driving through Iowa, and the quote Iowa Safety Patrol pulled them over. Were they speeding? No. Were they driving recklessly in any way? No. Did they appear to be drunk? No. Why were they pulled over? Literally for no reason. Uh, a phony statement was made that they had uh, turned without signaling or changed lanes without signaling. But it turns out that uh, this wasn't even true, that uh, the police car had a cam on it, a dash cam, and upon viewing that, that uh, this wasn't true. They did not fail to signal for a lame change. So, the, so they absolutely had done nothing wrong. Nothing at all. And these cops at the uh, Iowa State Patrol, the Safety Patrol. Now, what, what is the Safety Patrol? That's I'm not even sure. It's probably like a the A foreign Patrol. concept to me. Yeah, it's a foreign concept to me, too. I don't know what it is. Okay. I've never even been to But they're now. cops. Yeah, they're cops. They... Uh, um, right. And uh, this is called an interdiction team, which is right. um, – th- that's a, a term for them. That's not the official term, but that's a uh, term to describe what's going on there. It's a roving squad car that's patrolling the highways looking for targets to pull over and seize things. That uh, They say, oh, I bet this person has something we want to seize, and we're going to find a reason to seize it. So I'm not sure what about this car – besides being out of state, I think it had California plates, uh, made them want to do this, but uh, maybe they just pull over a, ho- a ton of people from out of state and just hope to get lucky. But they got very lucky here in that these two guys had 100 k on them because uh, they had recently been playing at a World Series of Poker circuit event in Joliet, Illinois. So they had been using that as a bankroll for... Uh, being at that WSOP circuit event, I guess. I mean, it sounds like a big bankroll for a circuit event. Maybe for cash games too, whatever. But they had 100 k And the dash cam of the police car pr- proved that they had done nothing wrong. Absolutely done nothing wrong. Even though the officer making the stop claimed that uh, they had failed to signal a lane change. So, after they had been pulled over for this lane change, obviously you can't be, you can't have your car searches for not changing lane, or not for signaling for changing lanes. So, the officer stalled and stalled and would not let them go anywhere. And right around then, a drug-sniffing dog arrived. It just happened to show up there, and uh, the dog then alerted to drugs. 
by the way, the alert from the dog was not on the dash cam. The dog was purposely off camera. But they claimed the dog alerted to drugs. The dog might have, probably on a signal. But now they had legal reason to search the car. Of course, it's not legal to set up a drug-sniffing dog to falsely signal. This whole thing really stinks. But now they had their, quote, probable cause to search the car. And believe it or not, they actually did find some drug paraphernalia. Not drugs, but some paraphernalia there. And uh, But they did not have any kind of actual drugs there, except like a trace amount on the paraphernalia, uh, to be able to arrest them. But they did find the $100,000 cash, and they took it. They just took it. Now, they didn't put it in their pockets, the officers, but it went into the pockets of the county or the city or whoever the officers answer to over there. So, the uh, these two guys didn't take this lying down. They filed a claim to retrieve their money. They say, how can you see my money when you haven't charged me with any crime? Uh, you're only allowed to seize things if... Uh, they are related to a crime that you're arrested or convicted for. So if you have material seized from you, and then it turns out that you're either not charged or charged and found not guilty, you have a right to get these things back. The only thing you're not allowed to get back is something that's illegal. So you can't say, hey, I want my cocaine back. But you can say, hey, I want my money back, or hey, I want my computer back, or whatever it is they seized if you were not convicted of the crime. If you are convicted of the crime, then they can keep it. So here they weren't even charged with a crime. So they filed a claim to get back their money. And they were able to show that this really was their money and that they were using it at that uh, poker event in Illinois. Well, unfortunately, due to all the legal fees they incurred for this, they only got about two-thirds of it back. That is, they got it back, but then they had to pay legal fees, which ate up about a third of that money. So they are currently suing the, uh, I have to say to Iowa or the police department or whatever. I'm not sure who they're suing specifically, but they're suing to get the rest of the money back, essentially being paid for their legal fees, which they should get. This whole thing was bogus in the first place. They shouldn't be out any money for this. Uh, the Des Moines Register actually was so outraged by this story that on October 4th, they actually published an editorial about this situation. And they are at the Des Moines Register in Des Moines, Iowa, saying that... Mid-American uh, Energy is putting the power to achieve greater is energy this? efficiency in our hands. With I don't want to hear about Great American <laughs> Energy. There's no commercials on this show. What the hell Well, you said this? the show was going to get a new sponsor, Todd, so... That's true. I'm not letting sponsors muscle themselves in, though. I, I didn't give uh-huh. Mid-American Energy permission to advertise on this show. They're not paying me anything. They're interrupting me, too. They can't even wait for an opportune moment here. They just got to bust in. 
Anyway. The, the uh, Judonk of sponsors. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I put a stop to that. I'm not going to let them get their message out, that's for sure. Not unless they pay me. But uh, basically the Des Moines Register has called for an end to all this crap, saying that this is a violation of civil liberties. It is. It really is. And mm-hmm. I'm not someone who always criticizes the police. I'm not someone who always says when there's some controversy involving the police, the police have to be wrong. I recognize the police have a tough job to do, a lot tougher than most people realize. Uh, I realize that a lot of times the side of the story that criticizes the police is not always accurate and correct, that sometimes the victim of the police is actually the guilty party. But this is something that's gone on for so long. As I said, there's a Rockford Files episode about this from 40 years ago. 40 years ago. I mean, this has been going on forever. This is known that small towns like to target people for monetary purposes. That They like to abuse people that that you can't mess with small town cops or they're going to beat you up or they're going to charge you falsely with things and that the judge is going to be in cahoots with them and and that – Basically, anyone passing through a small town is seen as a cash cow. And I don't mind if a a town legitimately catches people speeding and wants to ticket them, but but this is ridiculous. And even things like artificially lowering speed limits should not be allowed. This whole thing really is an assault on civil liberties. And not only should this be stopped, but uh, there should be serious FBI investigations into things like this. There should be a very public investigation into things like this. And any police department caught doing things like this or city officials caught encouraging things like this or judges in cahoots with things like this should go to prison for a long time. So uh, this is the editorial. It was actually – I won't read it here, but here's a a video about it from the uh, Des Moines Register about this situation, and then we'll talk about it. Kind of like the poor man's current affair. Oh, never mind. The, I thought this is a video about it. It's actually just a dash cam of... Oh, the footage? Or the, yeah, the footage. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was a video about uh, them saying how awful this is. Never mind. I, I should I should really watch these things beforehand. I, I just saw a video. I'm like, okay, this seems cool to play on the show. And then it's just like a quiet dash cam thing. It's interesting, though, if you... Uh, I'll post a link to it. In fact, I'll do it in the chat room right now if you want to see this video. and You'll see that these guys did absolutely nothing wrong. Let's uh, put this link in the chat room. You can watch the video if you want, which I obviously won't play here because there's no sound. But uh, four or more are saying in chat, oh, and that's why there's no guilty until proven innocent here. They just keep the money with jurisdiction... Uh, in REM laws, the onus is on you to prove you did not obtain said dollars in an illegal way if you want it back. Yeah, that that is true, that that's a lot of the excuse they use to hold cash is that uh, they say it's not your cash, and they're holding it until you can prove that it was your cash. And that, in fact, that's what these guys did here, is they proved that they had brought it to this poker tournament and that they were just coming back from the poker tournament, that's why they have it. But, uh, yeah, it's this is... Um, and by the way, there's no way you can really declare this cash. It's not like you're going through international borders. When you pass through state borders, there's nothing to declare. There's no customs. So Right. So the only way you could prove it on the spot is if, what, you're carrying like a bank receipt? 
Yeah, like a bankruptcy. But I guess they or, couldn't take it, but well, I mean, yeah, that's or, ridiculous. Or, or something like the poker tournament where they had uh, they had just come from, and it seems highly likely they had it there. Or, uh, or like let's say you'd been at a casino and they gave you a, a tax form after winning a lot of money there. But right. yeah, it's. I mean, this is not just a matter of they think maybe they're confiscating drug money and you, you've got to prove otherwise. They are targeting cars to confiscate money from them illegally knowing they can get away with it because they're the cops. It's really, really bad. And if you think it's just small-town police, it's not just them. Uh, the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure, the PCA, that they have every year, there is a flight that is often targeted coming from the Bahamas, where that event is held, to Florida, where a lot of poker players take that flight back. It's on the flight back, by the way. And anyone who shows up with cash gets questioned very aggressively by the Department of Homeland Security and they confiscate your money. Even if you do not have more than the $10,000 that you have to have to declare, that you're required to declare if you are bringing that into the country. So if you bring in $10,001 into the country, then you do have to declare on a customs form that you have that with you. But if you have 9000 you do not have to do anything by law. But they take it anyway. They question you and they take it. And then you have to fight to get it back. This happened to several poker players a few years ago coming back from the Bahamas at the PCA. And they targeted that flight knowing that poker players were on that flight and would be carrying a lot of cash. And just saying, hey, I had this money because uh, I was at a poker tournament just now wasn't good enough for them. And if they could find any slightest thing in your story they don't like, they would take it from you. This is really, really a very bad violation of civil liberties. And unlike other so-called violations of civil liberties, this is not the type of thing where really anyone from the outside is ever going to defend it. You're not going to find Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other side. You're going to find people on both sides of the aisle, all political parties, condemning this and saying that this is terrible. Yet still it goes on. Still it goes on. So who's responsible for oversight with the... Customs, FBI still? Uh, no, no, you actually have to, I'm not even sure, you, you have to, no, that's a big government bureaucracy. I mean, FBI hmm. would be if they were actually pocketing the money themselves, but this is just the government overstepping its bounds and, and keeping the money for the Fed. You really can't report the federal government to any other government. To that's itself? The, yeah, at the top. <laughs> I mean, like, so you, you can complain hmm. to uh, people higher up within the federal government, or you can sue them. But it's very tough. It's very tough, and often it'll cost you more than the money they seize if you have something like $9,000. You see these guys, it costs them $33,000 right. in attorney's fees to get this back. So it's very tough. It's an awful situation, and I think it really is a huge affront to civil liberties in this country, and uh, there's no question that this is wrong. I think you'd find very few people defending this saying, oh, yeah, this is fine. No. no. So anyway— This we actually a- had a similar but somewhat different situation up here a couple months ago, actually, where uh, guys were staking at a casino, and they had rigged the car to look like an undercover cop car. And they would wait until somebody hit big, follow them out, turn the lights on, pull them over, and rob them at gunpoint. Hmm. <laughs> and, so this, uh, this is actually criminal. But it's, it's sad that, that, that they're the ones imitating the police. Yeah, well, the at least these were really criminals. Real police. I, yeah, at least yeah. it was really criminals. At least here in the U.S., uh, you know, he's talking about Canada here, Daredevil's <laughs> from Canada. Here in the U.S., it's actually the real police stealing the money. Yeah. So and, and not even stealing for themselves, stealing for the town 
or whatever jurisdiction they're working for, and often at the direction of those above them. Sometimes these cops are told, this yeah. is part of your job. You have to do it. So even if the cops say, no, 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 I think it's wrong, they say, okay, then we're going to fire you and get someone else. They're going to mm-hmm. – yeah, and. And, and the, you know, there probably are kickbacks behind the scenes to these cops. It, it is so oh, corrupt. Sure. It is so corrupt. And what needs to happen, there needs to be an example made of those that do this with real jail time, just like at the end of the Rockford Files, except in real life, have this actually occur, have it be very public, and have the message put out to little towns like this and to small police departments like this that this is not going to be tolerated. Now – uh, the reason, of course, we're talking about it on the show is because it was two poker players who got nailed here. And I have driven a number of times with a lot of cash in my car. I, I don't drive with $100,000 on me, so don't bother trying to, uh, you know, uh, don't, dry, don't bother trying to stop my car in some way and, and rob me of $100K. I won't have anything like that on me these days. But in the past, uh, back when I played Higher Limits, before I had boxes as many places as I do, um, there were some times I drove with a whole lot of money in my car. And I didn't even think this was possible. I didn't think in America this was possible. I, I was not driving cross-country with, with that money, but I, I did go on some trips like to the East Coast where I would bring money with me expecting to gamble and be driving around with 20 k or something. And I had no idea it would be possible that they would pull me over and seize the money. In fact, that they would be targeting me to seize my money, not just kind of luck into it and find the money, but actually be targeting me as an out-of-state driver that I might have money they can seize. So this is really, really awful. It's it's really legalized robbery, and it shouldn't happen. So if you are going to be driving with a lot of money, make sure that you can trace exactly where the money came from Carry receipts if necessary. Make the police feel, if they question you and they find this money, that it's going to be useless because they're going to get it back. Say, I have this receipt here. Say, I was just here and got it. I have it for this purpose. I can prove it. And if they're convinced that you have all the documentation to support this, there's a good chance at that point they'll let you go. Not a 100% chance, but uh, always arm yourself with that. And, of course, always keep several copies of this both in your car and at home so if they confiscate your proof that uh, or destroy it in some way that you have another copy of it but make sure to have a way to show where that cash came from what if you can't what if you just have money sitting in your box at some casino and you you take it out just be very careful not to get pulled over and yes they may target you but they tend to target out-of-state plates especially in uh, small towns or in the highway in the middle of nowhere. So just avoid driving in areas like that with a lot of cash on you because you may either never get it back or have a hell of a time recovering it. So Forum Wars is saying that the government actually charges your money with a crime and not you. He's claiming that's how you have such a hard time retrieving the money in that you're not being charged with a crime, but the money is being considered illegal money. So even if they're not charging you, they're saying that you have to prove it's yours to get it back. So it's just really bad. They shouldn't have this type of seizure situation. There shouldn't be laws that allow this, and it should be much more difficult to seize money, and there should be 
a lot stronger checks and balances on this to where any jurisdiction that is seizing money too lightly, there should be not just monetary penalties against them and criminal ones as well. So uh, John Commode is saying in chat, the, the cops seemingly have nothing to lose by confiscating. It's kind of a free roll. It is. That's the problem. Right. It really is a free roll. They say, okay, we're going to pull over this car. We have some reason to think that they probably have something in that car that we want to take. We want to steal on behalf of this town. We're going to take it. All right. Go ahead and try to get it back. If you get it back, then okay, you get it back. Then we're still even. If you don't get it back, which is probably what's going to happen, then we keep it. So pretty good deal for us. So F you. And all the small ones they seize, I'm sure they're banking on the fact, like if they take nine grand, it's going to cost you more than nine grand to get it back. So they know you're not going to try. Yeah. And it's like a helpless feeling because you usually expect the law to protect you. You expect the police to protect you. You expect if your money gets stolen, it will be from criminals, not from the police itself that steals it in the name of uh, upholding the law. And that's really what they're doing. They know they're stealing it. They know they're pulling you over with flimsy or false pretenses to steal this money from you. It is theft. It is legalized theft. And there needs to be a consequence for this. They need to fear consequences in these small towns to where if they do this, that it's not a free roll anymore, that they can get in big trouble. And if people start going to jail over this, and if these small towns start going bankrupt over this because they get fined, then I think things might change. Well, I don't know how major this publication is that it was printed in, but you know, hopefully this is like a tipping point because if, as you say, this was a known thing even back in the 70s, then it's weird that it's just kind of... Because I, I actually remember seeing a Saved by the Bell episode with the same plot line on it <laughs> in the, the 90s. <laughs> so it's like everyone's known this has gone on for 50 years, but nobody's ever fixed it. Yeah, it, it's... I mean, I've known about this. Uh, th- this is called uh, – now, the episode of uh, The Rockford Files is called uh, – let me get the episode in case anyone ever wants to watch it. It, it really is not too different from this at all. Uh, uh, actually, I can't find it right now. But, okay, <laughs> I should I should have had that uh, – I should have had that ready. But anyway, there was an episode, I think it was 1974, and it was just like this. They, they framed him for a crime. They, they took the money he had on him. They were uh, demanding that he pay to get out of these false charges. And when they arrested the woman at the end of the episode, the, the mayor of the town, she said, this is the way we built towns like this. That's how we do it. That's how small towns like this have always been right. built. That's, that's how it's always worked in America. Like she was defending it. And I, these are fictitious characters, but the, the sad thing is this is actually based upon reality. They wrote that episode based upon real incidents that had been happening. And uh, this is a fictitious account, but it's, a, it's based upon real life. And, and uh, it's still happening here 40 years later. It's just there's no excuse for this to happen in the year 2014. It has to stop. So someone's suggesting in the chat that I, I prank call the police department who arrested them. That's, I don't think I want to prank call the police. That's... Uh, <laughs> Not what I want to be doing, but I think you should prank call that uh, attorney that sent you, you know, to take those Jennifer Lawrence pictures down as Chico Loco. You know, everybody wants and me I... to harass that attorney, the, uh, the the Jennifer Lawrence attorney. But how am I going to bring myself to make harassing phone calls on a radio show to a uh, a Jewish Hollywood attorney 
who represents Jennifer Lawrence. I don't want to incur his wrath here and have uh, a million lawsuits, uh, harassment lawsuits filed against me. Uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta pick my spots better. It's like a same reason I'm not going to go sit down in a uh, a high stakes heads up no limit match against uh, one of the best players in the world. Like I'm not going to be in those spots. That's uh, just not a wise thing to do. So okay, fair enough. That's uh, a story I wanted to bring some attention to, and I hope it changes. I hope. One day, one of these things became becomes such a major story, which this really hasn't. But I hope, I hope something happens to really shed some light upon this. And I think this is much more outrageous than what happened there in Ferguson, Ferguson where it's hard to tell whether the person who got shot, you know, whether he was really guilty or not. I mean, the person who got killed in Ferguson was definitely a criminal, definitely a thug, and it's hard to feel sorry for him when you see those videos. But it's much more straightforward. It's much easier to see abuse from the police in situations like this where they're just going after people for money. They're going after innocent people to steal money from them with a badge. That should be clamped down upon immediately, and there should be criminal charges, and there should be consequences for this, and there should be very public FBI investigations about this sort of thing. All right, so uh, speaking of investigations, we do some on this show of poker players, and we do some on this site. And, you know, I'll name names. I will name names. Sometimes it even gets me in trouble that I name names if it turns out I didn't have all the details right. But I I try to get everything right, and I name names. And in this case, uh, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, in fact, uh, a player named Vladimir Geshkinbane, also known as Bane, uh, got himself into some hot water with something pretty dishonest. And I will refresh your memory about this story, and then I'll explain what's going on currently, because there's kind of an update. Uh, let me uh, get to the story here. Uh, do you remember this story? Uh, vaguely. Very vaguely. This was quite a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was over a year ago. And okay. So let me get to the... There were backers saying he didn't pay them, and then he basically said he wasn't going to pay them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so what happened was uh, this guy... I want to get to the actual uh, story so I can read it here. But uh, this guy took money from backers and then shot it all off before the main event started. He took backers for the main event in 2013 and then when the main event came around the money was gone he actually sold $84,000 worth of action for the World Series On uh, he sold it through PokerStrategy.com and the final event in the World Series is the main event and by the time the main event came he was broke and people said wait how can you be broke uh, this $84,000 that you collected, uh, 10000 of that was earmarked for the main event. So where did that go? That was supposed to be untouchable to you buy into the main event. And they said, oh, well, sorry, I, I used it for other things. It's gone. So he canceled it. He said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cancel the stake here because I can't play. Uh, then he found a backer, a separate backer, unrelated to this 84K, said, hey, uh, Vladimir, you're a good player. 
I, I admire your poker skill, even though your money management skills suck. So how about I back you? How about I back you in the main event you can play, but you have to agree that you will pay me first because I, I understand what happened to these, uh, these people here. And, uh, you know, I don't want to take on that burden. So if you want to be backed, you pay me first if you win anything. And then from whatever you win, then you can deal with the people that you owed money before. So he agreed. So basically what Vladimir said was this to the, you know, the people who had originally staked him. So now he had two different backers to the main event, both of whom backed him for $10,000. So he told the first backers, the first group from PokerStrategy.com, you know, whose money he wasted, that uh, he's canceling the stake and that if he makes the final table, that at that point, he will simply give them a refund. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah, it's coming back to me. And yeah, he cashed, it, right? But yeah. So, so, um, and, and oh, sorry, not the final table. He made the twenty, the final twenty-seven, and and so they get. Oh, okay. they, so they get. If he made the final twenty-seven, they get a refund. If he made the final table, they get uh, a piece, but not the whole thing they were expecting. Uh, and, and so, what he was saying is, if he makes the top twenty-seven, uh, they will get uh, eight hundred forty dollars back uh, per percentage point they bought and if he uh, and if he makes uh, less than that he they get $637 per percentage bought something like that uh, anyway uh, that was you know during the negotiations they went back and forth so uh, he started off saying you only get a refund if you if I make the top 27 then it went on to uh, to him saying $840 per percentage bought if he makes the top 27 and 637 otherwise. Well, the problem was he finished in 67, 62nd place. And uh, nobody got paid, not even the 637 he promised. Uh, the statement he made right before the main event uh, basically you know, acknowledged that he wasted all the money and he's canceling it. But um, And then a debate broke out on Poker Fraud Alert when I reported this back in July of 2013. A debate broke out of, well, if he canceled the stake for whatever reason, you know, he, he didn't cancel it after he finished 62nd. He canceled it first, played with the right. second backer's money, and then finished 62nd. So his point was, hey, I canceled it already. I was going to pay you guys back when I got the money one day. You know, with either from cashing here or making the money somewhere else. I was going to eventually give you guys the money back, so I canceled it. It's over. And so some people on Poker Fraud Alert actually argued that he was actually right, that once you cancel a stake, it's canceled, and that you can't bitch afterwards that this should have been your money because he canceled it before he played. And I said, no, there's a big problem here. And the problem is he was free-rolling here because um, it's one thing if you are someone who is reliable – and I brought up an example like, let's say one of the events that I sell, because I sell pieces of myself for the main event, or not main event, for, for other World Series events. Let's say for the 10K limit, I sold a lot of pieces for my, of myself, as I did this year. And I wake up that day, and I feel sick. And I announce, you know what, I'm not going to play, everybody gets their money back. I've canceled the stake. So I cancel the stake, and then moments before it starts... I make a miraculous recovery and feel excellent, like I was never sick. 
But I've already told everyone that I've canceled the stake. But I still want to play. So at that point, if I were to play, then it would all be on me. If I were to win, I would not owe anyone anything except their money back. And if I were to lose, I would also owe them their money back because they would no longer be part of the stake. I will have told them that it's being canceled and they get a refund. So isn't this identical to what happened here? No, it's not. Why? Because in my case, there would be no doubt they'd be getting their money back. I have a perfect 100% record of paying people back. I've never stiffed anyone. No one suspects that I could be insolvent. And when I say you're going to get your money back, everyone knows you're getting your money back. So there's no free roll going on. They know that me saying you're going to get the money is just about equivalent to you having the money. Whereas someone like Vladimir, you don't know if you're ever going to get it. He's basically saying, I'm broke now. If I never make enough money to pay you, you're never getting it. If I do make enough money to pay you, well, then you might get it, you know, provided that uh, I make enough to feel okay to pay you. But the point is here, it's not fair to cancel the stake because he stole the money, can't play, and then has to have someone else back him. That's not a good reason to cancel it. That's number one. And number two, uh, you can't cancel it if you cannot either immediately pay people back or have a good enough record in paying people back where everybody involved is sure you will pay them. So that's why he can't cancel mm. it there. That's why you can't But you just can't say, be double-staked. I mean, he can't – like if it's, let's, let's say, for example, it's a 50-50 split. He can't give 100% away. Right, right. So that's the question. Where does the money so, come from? Where does the money I mean, come going from? into it, what would you think is fair? Right. So this is what he has to do. This is what I think is the only fair thing to do. You're right that you, the money has to come from somewhere – and that he can't pay 200% of his winnings out if he's only winning 100%. So here's what he needs to do, or needed to do. Before he accepted this other stake, he had to come to the original people who staked him and say, I have an offer for you. I, you know, I screwed up, I stole your money and, and lost it before. Someone else is willing to stake me down. And, and this is before any of it starts. If you're willing to still let me play on this other guy's stakes for whatever percentage, you know, come up with some percentage he thinks is fair, then I'll do it. And if everybody agrees, then he should do it. If everybody doesn't agree, then he should either pay back the, you know, the portions to the people who don't agree, and if he if he can at the moment, and then everybody else, uh, you know. Uh, he then he just shouldn't play. He should not play unless either everybody agrees or everybody agrees except a few that he refunds immediately. But mm. uh, but there should not be. He shouldn't be able to play at this point. You should just say, "Well, I'm just not playing then. I can play, but I, I but I just won't because it's not fair to the original people." Mm. But otherwise, otherwise they get screwed. Otherwise. Uh, th- that's the problem. You can't say I cancel the stake and I and I'll pay you if I make the money back. No, no, that's of course. I mean, b- what he should have said is, "Look, I fucked up, and I'm going to pay you back, and here's a flat penalty I'm going to pay or a percentage of interest based on time." To me, that's fair. Well, the problem uh, is in he'll terms never... of paying the original people back. The, the problem because is... if I mean, what if it was something that was okay? In this instance, it was not beyond his control, right? It was his fault. Yeah. But let's say it was beyond his control. Let, let's let's say the cops stole this money from him. 
Okay. And so now to not go to another, I, I just don't see how he can't go to another backer unless everyone agrees to whatever the terms are. I, I, I don't think that's fair. If the cops stole it from him or someone else stole it from him, uh, then if he were to cancel it and say, okay, I'm canceling it and everybody's going to get their refund. If I cash here, I'm going to give back, you know, 100% of what I, I make here, you know, once the, the, you know, the second backer takes his cut. Whatever mm-hmm. I have left, I'm going to pay you guys. And from that point forward, I'm going to work to pay the rest of you. That, that That's fine. And that's the way to do it. But then he actually has to do it. But um, the problem here is the difference is it wasn't taken from him beyond his control. He stole it. No, of course. So that's that's where it becomes the huge difference here is you can't steal the money and then cancel the stake and uh, and say now if I if I I go and play, you only get a, a, a small portion of it. Of the winnings, you you can't you can't say you guys are not staking me anymore because I stole the money from you. It's just a, you, that you that's what I'm just saying. You can't do that because it's this weird circumstance where he stole the money and it has to get restaked. That's, okay. That's, well, let, let's even say for let, let's say the timeline is different. Say he stole the money and he did the right thing, which would be to say, "Look, I fucked up. I'll pay you back with a penalty or percent interest." And then he's hanging around the World Series. It's about to start. And a minute before it starts, a guy comes up to him and says, hey, I'll put you in this event for ten grand." Should he then have to go ask all the previous backers if that's okay? Because this is also the best chance for him to pay those people back, no? Well, I, I would just say that he – I think the best thing to do there is just say no, I can't. There's a conflict of interest. And then, and then try to work out with them for future tournaments, okay, would you like me to start playing on somebody else's dime to try to get your money back? in this way or whatever, or just, or just tell people, look, I'm not playing this one. I still owe you this money back. And now for future events, which you guys had nothing to do with, I'm going to try to win the money back and whatever I win, I'm going to pay you guys back. And at least there you're trying to do the right thing and make up for the money that you stole. And there, you know, it's bad that you stole it, but at least you're trying to do the right thing. I just don't, I don't like when people play the same event that they were supposed to have been backed for in the first place. Basically it's a free roll against the original backers. That's the problem here. It's a free roll against the original backers. It is if you weren't going to pay them. But if you said you were going to pay them anyway with but, but a penalty have, or with interest, then you may never get the money. What, what if you never get the money? What if you can never afford to pay these people? That's True. the problem. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I'm afraid of here is if you can't afford – if this guy had a regular job that was fairly good mm-hmm. and said, okay, I'm going to start paying you guys out of my paycheck every week and uh, you're going to get right. – I'm canceling the stake. Someone else is staking me here. I'm going to pay you guys every week and just reliably hammers checks back to each of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I, I think it's a different story. But but here it's, this is a gambler who's, who's a known terrible money manager saying, I'll pay you back at some point so I, now you're no longer part of the stake anymore. I'm going to play the same tournament. I just don't like it. I think it's like a free roll. So anyway, he showed up here. Last week, I didn't say anything about it then, but about a week ago he showed up and asked me to take the thread down. And he says that he's paid people back but discussed it privately. And he wants me to take it down because he's trying to take his life in a different direction and get a job. And this is going to hurt him getting a job. And mm-hmm. I, I always, it's always hard for me to decide what to do when you have someone that claims they've reformed and that claims that as part of the reform, they're trying to enter the workforce now, and they can't enter the workforce with stories like this up there about them. And I, and I don't understand why 
he's focusing on Poker Throttler. I think 2 plus 2 has a big thing about this too. So, what, like, if we remove it from Poker Throttler, it's not like the story disappears. But right. uh, regardless of, of his uh, justification here, what, what he thinks is going to help, uh, on one hand, if I can remove these threads and then get this person a job, not directly, but if they get a job thanks to my thread being gone, and then they make money and pay back the victims, well, then I've done something to help the the victims get their money back, and that's a good thing. But there's Mm -hmm. a few reasons I don't want to do this. Uh, I don't like censoring what's occurred before. It's not like I'm removing something that's false. I hate removing true threads that make someone look bad about bad things they've done. Uh, There's no guarantee they're really going to pay the people or have paid the people. So I, I asked him, what have you done? What have you done to make up for what you've done to these people. I didn't make any promises. I didn't say if I'm impressed with this or remove it. I just said, like, what have you done here? I, I still have a problem with the whole thing with you. So uh, he said the stakers, they've been paid out in various installments within the last year. Keep in mind, it's been about 15 months since it happened. And um, he said, I paid them the agreed amount. I paid out double markup for the main event as a sign of goodwill and an excuse. I don't know what that means, but uh, um, he claims he can provide me with with proof of this, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to talk to him further about this. I, I really hate removing these things. Like, let's say he did finally do right for these people and everyone who's a victim is satisfied with the resolution. Like, should I remove mm-hmm. it at that point? I don't know. <sighs> That's tough because <clears throat> the other thing is you don't really know if he's entering the workforce. And if he just wants these things down, maybe to get more backing, then, you know, I wouldn't. But you don't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, I hate removing these things. I hate removing records of people scamming, even if they've – I'm fine putting an update, update, you know, such and such person made it right. But I I hate removing the thread. I only like removing things if it's something untrue or, you know, I'll remove embarrassing stories. Like I've had people – uh, or, or I remove like silly things that occur on the site that have no consequence. So I'll, I'll have people PM me. Can you remove my real name from the site because I'm trying to get a job and I don't want to see people. Uh, I don't want people see me in these wars with the trolls back and forth and, and, and yeah. you know stuff about my personal life out there. And like, okay, yeah, fine, of course. But like, I, I don't want to remove things about scammers. Well, is there a way to just remove it from Google, but not the internal search of this site? Because I don't think employers are searching Poker Fraud Alert for uh, Yeah, but I, there, there is. I, I can manipulate Google to Maybe to that's that. kind of a halfway. But but I yeah. hate doing that, too, because that's how people find this type of stuff. The Poker Fraud Alert, yeah. I mean, it's it's there for the members, but it's also there for the people who just are going to Google something and find it. And I have a lot of people showing up saying, hey, mm-hmm. I'm glad I read about this story because uh, – you know, I Googled this person and found this about them, right? I Googled this site and I found this about them. And without your site, I wouldn't have known. And thank you. Like, I, I'm afraid, like, what, yeah. if he, what if he scams people in the same way again and they would have not been scammed had they read about what he did before? So, Right. Then that's kind of defeating the whole purpose of the site, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're, you want to make people aware of these things. Yeah. I mean, you could maybe just update even the header. Yeah. Of the post or whatever that he's now paid these people, but it doesn't mitigate the fact that he still scammed them. Basically, yeah. in the first place. I mean, I think that's what I'm going to say right. is that I'll be glad to update that uh, such and such happened and even change the title of the thread, but uh, but not right. not just wipe the whole thing like it didn't happen. The only way I wipe it, if it didn't yeah. ha- as if it didn't happen is if the story was wrong. 
but it, the story's right. right. He's he's not even saying the story's wrong. In the current uh, mm-hmm. messages he's sending to me, he's admitting that what was written there was true. So, right, and then all you've done is reported the story from start to finish, and people can make their own decisions. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I think that's fair. I think so too. All right, so. Speaking of people whose past should not be covered up, I really, really hate when anyone who is involved in the AP or UB scandals are attempting to get legitimate jobs within the legalized online poker industry or even the illegal online poker. I just don't want them anywhere near poker ever again. I don't think they deserve to be. And when I say anyone involved, I don't just mean the people who were pressing the buttons to cheat. I mean anyone who enabled it knowingly in any way. Meaning anyone who helped transfer money in and out for the cheating. Anyone who helped cover up the cheating. Anyone who helped lie about the cheating. Anyone who put out misleading or incorrect PR statements about the cheating either because they, you know, either while knowing it was fake, what they were saying, or were purposely not asking questions. Like, if, if you work for a company like Absolute Poker, and you put out press releases denying at the time that the whole cards could be seen, when you knew that was not true, you were guilty. You were guilty in taking part in the cover-up. Or if you think there's a good chance that it's true, if you don't have proof, but you think there's a good chance and you still participate in distributing this misinformation, you are, again, guilty. Joe Seabach, he did this for UB when uh, he was talking about the lost hand histories and about the new owners and all those other BS lies that he was fed by Paul Leggett Mm -hmm. to peddle to the public. Joe Seabach didn't directly cheat anyone. Joe Seabach came on board after the whole card cheating had been done but he convinced people to deposit on there. And guess what? All the money got stolen all over again in a different way. Yep. So Joe Seabach, I hold him partially responsible for what happened on UB when they were, it turned out they had no money when they were seized on Black Friday. Black Friday did not, that, that isn't what happened to your UB money. Your UB money was gone the whole way. You just didn't know it's right. a Black Friday. So, uh, the, so anyone who's uh, an accomplice in any of this cheating or stealing of these sites, uh, I think these people should not work in poker ever again. And I actually enjoy taking steps or encouraging others to take steps to keep these people out of this industry. They don't deserve to be here. So here is one. It's a a female. Her name is Danielle Burroughs. Danielle Burroughs worked for Absolute Poker. And Daniel Burroughs was distributing misinformation at the very beginning when the first stories of super users on Absolute Poker were gaining steam. And here's what happened in September 2007. Now, I have a personal connection to this, of course. Because I was one of the people directly cheated by Grey Cat 
on Absolute Poker. I played Grey Cat heads up. He beat me for $6,000, seeing my whole cards. The person behind Grey Cat, Scott Tom. Scott Tom stole $6,000 directly from me under Grey Cat. They stole another like $9,000 in ring games against me on Absolute Poker during the same week. I was one of the first people to come forward and publicly accuse Absolute Poker of having super users. If you Google Absolute Poker and super user, you will see the very, very first post on any forum anywhere mentioning the term super user in relation to Absolute Poker was me. I'm not trying to brag here, that's just a fact. Uh, so anyway, I have a personal connection to this. Well, right around that time, September 2007, I think maybe a day or two after I made my post on, on 2 Plus 2 about this, Danielle Burroughs, who worked for a guy named Pete Barovich, who was one of the main guys at, at AP, uh, Barovich and Burroughs ran the AP affiliate program. So uh, they were trying to get across at all the affiliates that there's no cheating going on there that these are false accusations. They told the affiliates because they knew the affiliates would be the ones that were questioned by a lot of the grinders, a lot of the big players on their site would probably go to the affiliates and say, hey, what's up with this? So they wanted the affiliates to be on their side. So Daniel Burroughs went to the affiliates and tried to deny this was happening. And... First, they denied it, that this was happening. Then it became clear, 100% clear, that there really was cheating going on there. And so they quickly had them pulled from the affiliate sites. They quickly had the affiliates pull the stories that this cheating wasn't happening. And then they put another story in its place that uh, was... uh, defending Absolute Poker and making it seem like that they were investigating this very seriously. Keep in mind, they were the ones doing it the whole time. Here's a statement made by Daniel Burroughs in September of 2007. Hi all, thank you for your patience in this urgent issue. Let me start off by stating in 100% confidence that fair play and security is of paramount importance to Absolute Poker. We have temporarily frozen accounts that have been brought to our attention while we perform an extensive investigation. (laughs) Now keep in mind the accounts they froze belong to Scott Tom. So obviously it was very well known by anyone who even looked at which accounts were frozen or who they belonged to that uh, this is uh, an inside job. And I don't even believe they changed anything. I don't think they changed the names off. So Danielle Burroughs could have easily looked up these accounts that were frozen and would have seen who they belonged to. So she just knowingly put out disinformation. She wrote, while we are continuing with our investigation, we've yet to find any evidence of wrongdoing. Our game client only receives data regarding the individual's hand and no other player's whole cards except in the event of a showdown. 
The players and the respective actions that are in question all come from a small sample of hands. We've researched their play exhaustively and have found no proof that they had any knowledge of any other player hole cards. <laughs> this is what Daniel Burroughs is writing. They researched extensively about Grey Cat. He, he didn't know anything about your hole cards. There were hands that were played poorly from a poker strategy perspective, and these players did receive a fortunate result. So far, we have no evidence that substantiates claims that any of the players were involved in chip dumping or any other improper activity. Because of the seriousness of these allegations, we have not closed the investigation and are continuing to look very closely into this matter. We will notify you if we obtain any new information regarding these claims. <laughs> Kindest regards, Danielle Burroughs, Absolute Poker. Uh, and then... Um, uh, she also made a uh, another statement in, in a thread that, that was uh, deleted. Uh, hi, everyone. This thread is completely off-kilter. Absolute Poker is certified and rated by the same organization that monitor up other pop- poker rooms. To make accusations that AP is rigged or has a breach in our security is simply not true. All players are monitored, and the players discussed in these threads have been reviewed and cleared by the security department. It can be assured that there are no security holes where a player can hack into the system to view the cards. If anyone would like to keep commenting on the subject, you can contact myself via email, danielle at chipleader.com. Chipleader.com, by the way, was the affiliate program by, uh, for Absolute Poker. Uh, also, I correspond with quite a few affiliates on this per- forum daily and weekly via email, so you will get a response. I would like to clear up any negative thoughts about this program and our brands. Thank you. Kind regards, Danielle. So, uh, Danielle was definitely covering this up. Danielle pretends to have knowledge of these sorts of things and and actually does not. And I mean, she, she, she pretends to have knowledge, and in reality she does have knowledge, but uh, not what she's saying. She has knowledge they were really cheating and trying to cover it up. She was definitely a big part of the cover-up, and uh, there's even a photo that someone found of her in 2007 where she's partying it up with A.J. Green, also known as Alan Grimmard, who was one of the cheaters, one of the direct cheaters who, uh, in fact, they, they hung all the blame on A.J. Green, even though uh, right. he was He was there, Russ Hamilton, yeah. Yeah, he was there, the Russ Hamilton. He did it just like Russ Hamilton. He was guilty, too, but they, they hung all the blame on him so Scott Tom could look clean. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there's like a, a picture of those two being very close, uh, Daniel uh, Danielle Burroughs and Alan Grimmard. Well, uh, Danielle Burroughs has reappeared. Daniel Burroughs now works for a company called GameSys. What is GameSys? G-A-M-E-S-Y-S. Well, GameSys made the uh, software for the Virgin Casino, virgincasino.com, which is the casino partner with Tropicana Atlantic City. So it's an online casino. The Tropicana's version of the online casino running in the legalized New Jersey market. And I was told by a reliable source that Danielle Burroughs is working now for GameSys. I don't know what she does. And in their list of employees there that they publicly name on the site, she's not one of them there. But uh, it's possible she got the job recently. It's possible they just never put her name up there. Maybe she even told them not to knowing her AP passed and it would come back to bite her. So she just wanted to work under the radar there. But she does work for GameSys, according to this reliable source. And here's some information about the Virgin Casino, which nothing against the Virgin Casino itself or Tropicana itself. I'm just saying this is where she works, which is disturbing because it's the legalized 
casino market, legalized online gaming market in New Jersey, and she's now working in that market after these blatant lies she told about AP and trying to cover up the cheating, these, these terrible things she said there. Uh, so it says, VirginCasino.com officially launches on, on January 24, 2014. Virgin Casino's partnership with Tropicana Atlantic City Casino Resort led it to be among the first online casinos granted approval from the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement in November to launch 24-hour internet gaming operations in the state. Virgin Casino is available online only to gamers who are located in New Jersey and features more than 30 casino games. For information, go to www.virgincasino.com. So, she should not be working for a company like this. And I encourage people to call up GameSys and ask them why they hired Daniel Burroughs. I would do it right now, but they're not open, obviously, at 11 o'clock Eastern. Uh, or to complain to the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, because they, they take this pretty seriously in New Jersey. That's why they didn't want poker stars there until they the Scheinbergs got out of the business. They don't want people whose hands are dirty from the previous regime of uh, illegal online gaming to be involved in their legalized version of the state. So I, I think it would be great if we put together a complaint to the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement about Danielle Burroughs working at GameSys, or to even tell GameSys that we're about to put in a complaint about your company related to Danielle working there. And may, maybe they'll get rid of her, just like they got rid of Bonnie Lanehose at the LVH when people complained. May, maybe they don't know. But I think it's time they do know. I think it's important that people like Daniel Burroughs and anyone who still has the stink of the AP frat boys on them are forced out of the industry for good. So, Yeah, I agree. And do you, so do you know if um, the online gaming industry in New Jersey, does it function the same as the land-based industry? Wherein, like, does every employee have to get a gaming license and pass background checks? Well, I don't think that she has to here because I don't. She's not directly an employee of. Uh, she's, right, she's just an employee of the software company that. Yeah, yeah. Facilitates. The, so yeah, I don't think she needs any kind of gaming license, but I can see the hmm. division of gaming enforcement being unhappy about this if uh, someone who was part of this bad cheating incident back in 2007 is now working for a company providing this software to a. To, to a legalized online gaming platform in that state. I can see where that would bother them to where they could even come to GameSys and say, hey, you better get rid of her or we're not going to continue licensing this software. So I'm, I'm not 100% sure how the process would, would work, but uh, I think it's worth looking into, and I think uh, there should be some complaints made. There, there should be some noise made. I may even call them personally myself to GameSys and say, hey, are you aware of, of who's working for you there? Are you aware of Daniel Burrow's past? Are you aware of the fact that we're going to make complaints here to the Division of Gaming Enforcement if she stays there? And and I'm not – some people can think, okay, maybe you're being too harsh. Maybe uh, this poor Daniel Burrow's, she was just fed lies by A.J. Green, and, and she said these things, and she didn't realize what she was saying. She shouldn't be marked for life here. She shouldn't have her career ruined. Well – I'm not saying to lock her up and throw away the key. I'm saying to keep her out of this industry which she hurt. That's what I'm saying. She wants to go do something else, work somewhere else, get some kind of job not related to online gaming. Fine. But stay out of this industry. She does not deserve to be part of this industry after what she did and after what she was part of. And I don't believe for a second that she had no idea that something was wrong there while she was writing those things. She just had a good job 
She she liked what she was doing. She liked the money she was making and was willing to say anything to keep that gravy train rolling. All right. Or very least it'd be willful ignorance. Yes. In the, probably, probably like Joe Seabock fashion. Yes, yes. Yeah, he didn't know because he didn't actually want to know. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, same I, thing. Yeah, for jo- Joe Seabock, I described him as having a shocking lack of curiosity. <laughs> yeah. And that's really what he had. It was uh, a shocking and obvious lack of curiosity. So mm-hmm. uh, I encourage people to raise objection to this and to make her life difficult in this industry. Not make her life difficult in the way of you know harassing her at home or, or, or making threats, but just making the company she works for aware of her past and making the Department of Gaming Enforcement in New Jersey aware of her past. I think that's just fine. By the way, I see right now that uh, San Francisco is leading Washington 2-1 to one in the 6th. I, I, I don't want to see the Giants win. I don't either. I've, I want to see, this is the last thing I'm really interested in in this baseball season is to see the Giants lose. That's, I just want to see the Giants lose, and I can say, okay, the, the Giants and Dodgers both lost here. Okay, now, now the rest right. of the four, I don't give a crap which one of you wins. And I really don't. So... All right, let's move on to the next topic. All right, well, there's a controversy continuing to rage on at uh, 2 plus 2, and that is regarding uh, this private world character. This is so strange. I like to think that I'm pretty good at identifying phonies online. Uh, back when I used to go into chat rooms, one of the things I was best at was picking off immediately which girls they were fake. Either actual girls using a fake picture of a more attractive girl or dudes pretending to be girls. That's especially easy to pick off for me. So I'd always be one of the first voices calling out the fakes. And... Just in general, from my many, many years online, I just got good at recognizing who's real, who's fake. Sometimes I get it wrong, but but usually I'm right. With this private world character on 2 plus 2, I have to tell you I have no idea. I I have conflicting opinions within myself as to what this guy's real story actually is. I don't think he's outright fake, but what he actually is, who he actually is, is very hard to tell. Now, let me give you some background on this. A character showed up who called himself Private World. Now, he's been on 2 Plus 2 before, but hadn't really posted anything of real consequence. But he showed up in a thread about Tom Dwan avoiding Jungle Man and avoiding paying the penalties for their challenge. And, and basically told a lot of different stories about the high-limit world, made a lot of accusations toward people, uh, even accused uh, Doyle Brenson and, and Chip Reese of uh, cheating some businessmen out of millions of dollars. Uh, the guy had so many different stories from the world of very high-stakes poker. Yeah, stories... just, sorry, just quick correction there, Todd. It wasn't uh, Chip Reese, but I think it was Billy Baxter. Oh, it was Billy but... Baxter. You're right. I'm so, thank you. It was more recent, yeah. but yeah. So... Um, I'm glad I have a, uh, a co-host here to the fact-checking. That's good. Well, I was actually on that episode, so <laughs> I actually remember that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, anyway, they were 
a lot of stories there that, if true, were really interesting, but if false, were kind of annoying because uh, you feel like you're wanting to read more and more from this guy. But and then you have to decipher his posts because they're very poorly written, you know, poorly spelled. The the grammar is is not uh, not all that great. The, the whole thing's kind of difficult to read. But at least you think you're getting the reward of getting a window into the fascinating world of high stakes poker. Especially fascinating if you believe the stories this guy tells. And for it to all be fake would be very frustrating. Uh, the problem is it's very hard to verify if it's true or not because the people who play in these games don't really post on two plus two for the most part. So uh, you really weren't getting any kind of independent confirmation either way of the stuff this guy was saying. And he even would would say and do some weird things which just didn't seem like they could be likely. You know, blinds, he claimed that that they were playing at at super high limit games of uh, 250,000, 500,000, just just weird stuff like that that just looked like it was someone making it up. And... Uh, for example, he was saying that the huge games in the New York underground are so big that Andy Beal would be considered too poor for those games. So that, that would be very interesting if true, but uh, you know, that type of thing sounds like someone would be making up just to get attention. So yeah. there, there's been a lot of speculation back and forth that, you know, who is Private World? Is he just some troll? Is he just making this up for attention? Now, he did seem to have a lot of knowledge about a lot of people in that world and a lot of situations that had been occurring. He knew all about the Trencher case uh, involving that sports betting and poker ring over there in New York, that those busts that occurred over there. Uh, and he, he had a lot of knowledge, which, again, he could have acquired by simply reading stories about it, but he really had a lot of stuff to say that would have required a ton of research if he was making all this up. He claimed to be under 45, but not by that much. He claimed to be male. Uh, He claimed to be in Las Vegas, but also claims he's on a VPN posting there. So I haven't seen any mods give any information regarding his IP. Which, by the way, I promised this last week, but I think I'm going to do it this week. I have a way to get this guy's IP. And I I don't want anyone being blamed. I'm not going to use any insiders at 2 plus 2. But I have a way to do it that does not involve the use of any insiders. And I'm going to get it. Not 100% it'll work, but I think a, a very high chance the way I can do it will work. And then I will tell you what I find on the next episode. Now, Todd, the one that the episode that I was on, you said you were going to do some sleuthing and basically reread Biffer's old posts to kind of see if they matched up. Did you get around to that? Or? I did. And I have mixed okay. feelings on that, too. And we'll, I'll get to that shortly, but whether this is Biffer right. or not. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to try this week to get this guy's IP that he's been posting from 2 plus 2. I want to see two things. Uh, Number one, is he posting from Las Vegas? And number two, if he's not, is he really using a proxy or a VPN? Or is that just an excuse for posting somewhere else? you, You can tell the difference. And just because you have an IP of somewhere else, you can't just say, oh, I'm on a VPN. It doesn't work that way. 
there are various ways to tell if something really is a VPN or if it's really just someone's home IP address. So I want to get that IP and see what I can find out from it. If it is a VPN, then there's nothing more I can find out. But uh, I'm going to see what I can find out. And I'll let you guys know next program, you know, provided that I'm successful with it. But a lot more drama occurred. Now, last week on the show, I had a little bit of egg on my face because I was told that Private World put out a mea culpa and admitted that he made the whole thing up. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was two weeks ago. Someone posted that in the chat. Oh, was it two weeks? Okay, I thought it was one week. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, So I was told that, and I'm like, oh, boy. And I went and took a look, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. But then I said, you know what, wait a minute. It didn't look real to me. It looked like something that was forced. It looked like he was under pressure from someone to say, oh, yeah, I made all that up. And I've seen... Mm-hmm. Incidents of that before online Where someone spills something that they're not supposed to And then in order to cover it up Then they claim oh I made all this up Sorry about that guys Because calling yourself a liar is Less of a consequence than uh, Having revealed these things You weren't supposed to reveal It's the attempt to undo the damage that's been done You can't take stuff off the internet That's already there and been seen But you can try to discredit yourself So I didn't believe it Just the way he Put the whole thing when he made his post It just didn't look realistic It really looked very forced It didn't look like A legitimate admission that the guy had been Screwing with everyone And I said that at the time Well sure enough he's back and he Is saying once again that He is telling the truth And that his claim before that he Wasn't was just to throw people off And he wasn't telling the truth of that So basically he was lying About having lied so Throw people off of what, exactly? Uh, he wasn't that clear about it. Let me let me get over to the thread about this on 2 Plus 2. Like that, that's, that's just the part I don't get. What, throw people off of who he is, or but that wouldn't help. So I, Yeah, I so he, he started a thread that. on uh, October 4th, three days ago, called Tom Dwan has bigger problems than simply jungle. And by the way, he spelled then instead of T-H-A-N. He spelled it T-H-E-N. <laughs> but of course that may have been intentional That may have been intentional So mm. so people asked him Wait a minute I thought that you uh, I, I thought that you Claimed you weren't telling the truth So I'm trying to find his, his answer to this one Yes, here this is what he wrote. Yes, I did discredit myself for reasons I will not get into. Oh, all right. So that's that's what he had to say about. It. That's how he just dismisses <laughs> it. Uh, I have, as you can see, I've not posted in a while. However, could not take it. I did not see one post with this story. And what story am I talking about? Well, his post is about Tom Dwan. Basically, he's saying that Tom Dwan is not paying Jungle Man because he can't pay, which that part I believe. That he just broke But he says He has bigger problems than Jungle He's facing problems With the most powerful agency in the land The government The Southern District of New York He was involved with a mega bookie Trencher and Namad Wire transfers to Tom and Ivy were frozen His name was on hundreds of tapes That was introduced to Judge Jesse Furman Why was he not indicted with Trencher and Namad? Because he had no money showing anywhere And they did not indict poor people in that case It would have cost them big money to indict him And they were only looking for big forfeitures 
fast forfeitures because that is how Obama is paying his bills now. They go after gamblers only with money, but they are waiting to make a quick grab and investigation is still going on. Tom will not talk on the phone or use a computer. He is also carrying a great debt to people in the millions that make Jungle look like he's taking Tom's lunch money. I remember back in the day when Tom and Peter Jeddon, not sure what happened to him, were traveling on private jets through Europe, dining at Eboli in Spain for 30K dinners. Can you imagine $30,000 dinners? Renting yachts, villas, planes, and so on, and carrying a ridiculous entourage with him, raining on them like a rapper. We were calling him P. Diddy, P. Diddy Tom at one time, joking, of course. I also remember clearly veteran high-stakes players warning him of the path he was taking after getting killed in Bobby's room once again after playing mixed games where he was poor at. His ego prevailed. I remember a certain businessman in Macau that was growing very weary of his entourage and ego and his, quote, Tom Show lifestyle that he was not being invited to games. At the end, he was Trencher's horse. The entourage is gone, and so is Barbie. Barbie's referring to the blonde girlfriend he had at the time. Just referring to her as Barbie because she's a young blonde girl. High-stakes players are staying away. No one's calling except to try and collect debts. Trenchers in Taft Prison in California, Namad in Otisville in New York. At least David Blaine and Leo are visiting them, but no, not Tom. It's just him. He's lost his credibility and his ego. Don't think he's hiding for he's close to home where it all started. Let this be a lesson, not an issue. And to Jason, if he's listening, Tom may be come back one day and pay everyone. Never know. Jungle and him most likely have worked it out. That's why the silence from both. So that's it. So basically he's saying that, that uh, Tom DeWan's back in New Jersey. Is he, Tom DeWan is originally from Edison, New Jersey. That he's back there and not hiding, just, just broke and uh, no one wants to help him anymore. And that he's very possibly going to be in, in trouble with the government if, if they decide to indict him. If they decide he has money, they're going to indict him too. But at the moment they can't find any money he has, so they're not interested. Which is an interesting take because it is true these indictments are about money. The Southern District of New York, the, the right. U.S. Attorney's Office there, these are all their busts are about money. They bust criminal organizations that have a lot of money where they can seize them, similar to these small towns but on a bigger scale. Uh, and, and also they're really going after actual criminals, not just uh, you know, manufacturing crimes. But they, they go after only those breaking the law who have a lot of money they can seize, money or assets they can seize. And the, So he's saying that they couldn't find that Tom has any more money, so they didn't bother indicting him, which is possible. So that's what that's the thread he started, and and so this went on for pages and pages, and and again, speculation is private world real? Is he fake? What's this? What's that? So then, the real interesting part occurred when Jungle Man showed up. Because uh, Jungle Man was accused of being silent here because he had privately worked something out with Tom Juan regarding the challenge, and that's why he's not posting anymore about it. And that's what really made Private World surface in the first place, was to talk about the whole situation with Tom Juan and Jungle Man. But uh, then Jungle Man came out, and said that basically he's confirmed that this is really Viffer. The private world is Viffer. And uh, so that's that's when the interesting stuff really started. And private world's response to Jungle Man at that point 
was interesting. And here, let me find where this was. Basically, he said, no, I'm not Viffer. In fact, you can call Viffer right now and ask him. He's very curious about this whole thing, too. Let me get this exact word. But the, the, there's something interesting about that, and that is that this private world person now claims like he's in direct contact with Viffer to where like hmm. Jungle Man makes that accusation and somehow Viffer knows about it within a, a very short time. So and then and then Private World got banned for for uh, threatening Jungle Man, and then but then he got unbanned after that. Let me let me get to the point where uh, such a long thread it's hard to navigate through this thing. Oh, so let me let me tell you what uh, Jungle Man said. He, when he was asked about this, uh, um, th- this is his reason for saying that it's Viffer. He says, No, I've never received any money from Tom Dwan for the challenge. Tom hasn't been replying. Most stuff I hear is through mutual friends. There is some truth to the other stuff, he said, referring to Private World. I don't know about the Trencher stuff, but I could find out. Only Viffer would talk like this, have inside info, and have reason to attack me, so it's obviously him. So he's saying here, this is interesting, but Jungle Man is saying that a lot of what is being said by Private World is actually true. Mm-hmm. And so he's verifying, at the very least, that Private World is posting real info, not just some some troll making this stuff up. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going? Who's calling? It's Hockey Guy. Hockey Guy, so what, what's up? Yeah, you're going to make that fucking phone call or what? That's a good point. Everyone in chat wants you to make that fucking phone call. Okay. Well, I will get ma- with it. I'll, I'll make the fucking phone call very soon. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, and I'll donate $10 next week for to make that phone call tonight. I will. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Oh, sorry about it. You know what? Sorry about that. I accidentally uh, put my co-host on hold. That was Hockey Guy telling me to... He was trying to move me along so I can make that prank phone call to the uh, Arizona uh, restaurant, which, which I'll make sure to do before 9, before they close this time. I'm not going to screw this up. We'll, we'll finish this topic, then we'll do that call. Thank you, Hockey Guy, for bringing that to my attention. But anyway, uh, so Jungle Man, it seemed kind of flimsy that uh, it has to be Viffer because the person has inside info and doesn't like him. I mean, there's got to be a lot of people who have inside info and don't like Jungle Man. So uh, I will say, looking at Viffer's old posts, I do see a lot of misspellings. They are kind of the same type of misspellings, though people have pointed out in the thread inaccurately that Private World does, despite you know, despite his grammatical and spelling mistakes, that he does write in more of a sophisticated style than Viffer. So that is one argument mm-hmm. against it being Viffer, though. Though he, he doesn't write in a super sophisticated style, so I, I still think it could be. I I have to believe that this is probably someone who's close to all these players. Yeah. Someone who's close, but not directly in that circle, it seems like. Yeah. So, and, uh, so, let me get to the response that, uh, yeah, the first thing Jungle Man said, by the way, and this is on October 5th, is, hey, Viffer, thanks for letting everyone else, letting everyone know who you are. And then, 
Private World responded uh, a short time later, You're a real scumbag, Jungle Man Cates. Why would you do that to Viffer? He's wondering the same thing right now. Why don't you call him then? You know I'm not him, and you're a real lowlife for doing that. You're a scumbag anyways. Why don't you tell who you owe money to? Yeah, I didn't think so. You slammed Tom Dwan in a nitty form of fanboys. Who did you just transfer to online? Sorry, who? Those Russians are not a wussy-like little Dwan you pick on. You will get yours. Hope Viffer gets All-American Dave to kick the shit out of you. Now, he has this weird obsession with All-American Dave. You might wonder, if you don't go to the World Series of Poker, who is All-American Dave? Is this a poker player? No. All-American Dave is a caterer. (laughs) Right, he makes, like, uh, hippie food, right? Yeah, they they make so-called healthy food at the World Series. It's very overpriced. It's not... It's an independent company that's somehow gotten permission or, or paid money, more likely, to uh, operate on the Rio property during the World Series, and they hire a ton of hot girls to deliver that food to you at your table. So a lot of people like them. I, I just think it's too expensive. I, I don't want to bother with it. But a lot of people swear by All-American Daves, and uh, for some reason... This private world person loves to talk about Viffer ordering from All-American Daves, which doesn't make much sense because he tends to insult Viffer no. for being fat over and over, like you know, eating five pizzas. and All he does is, is pick on Viffer's weight, and then he talks about All-American Daves, which is something you'd really order if you want to stay healthy. So uh, I don't know why he has this obsession with All-American Daves, and he now he says, obviously, in jest, that All-American Dave is, is going to kick his ass. Well is going to kick you know, Jungle Man's ass. Well, Foolish 2 Plus 2, the mods over there, they actually thought that was a real threat and banned Private World, which was ridiculous. I mean, the Private World is threatening that All-American Dave is going to kick uh, Jungle Man's ass and he gets banned for that. I mean, come on. But uh, the interesting thing in that post was saying, call Viffer. He's wondering the same thing right now. Why are you doing this to him? Like, how would Viffer even know about this? Viffer isn't an active reader of 2 plus 2. Right. And this post was made 19 minutes after Jungle Man's post. So somehow in 19 minutes, Viffer was fully apprised of the situation, according to Private World. Now, it's possible that Private World made up that whole thing, and Viffer has no clue as to what's going on here. You know, I should try to get in contact with Viffer. I... I might be able to dig up his phone number, and if not, I I know what his uh, old AIM screen name was. I don't know if he still uses it, but uh, believe it or not, Viffer used to talk to me all the time on AIM before anyone knew who he was. At the time, he was talking to me because I was the known player, would you believe? But uh, uh, this is obviously a very long time ago. Just like uh, Durr, right? Yeah, just like Durr. Yeah, just like Durr went up to me and said, hey, Dandruff, I always wanted to meet you. And yeah, <laughs> same, same thing. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe this stuff now, but this stuff really happened. Well, one day I won't talk to you, Todd. <laughs> yeah. I'll just big time you. Yeah, that's true. One day I'm going to say, hey, Daredevil, can I be on your radio show? You're going to go, you're right. <laughs> you can't come on my show. Why would I want you on my show? <laughs> but anyway, these uh, – so Private World there, it was banned for a little while. Then he got unbanned. And I have to say, if I had to guess who it is, I would say Viffer is still the more likely individual behind it. Because 
Because he's at least claiming that he speaks to Viffer, yeah, he right? based on those Viffer. posts. So, it, it, yeah, it, it it does make the most sense that it's him. Not that it is him necessarily. But... And, and he seems to put too much effort into trashing Viffer. Oh, Viffer gets kicked out of Panorama Towers because he can't pay his rent. Oh, Viffer eats five right. pizzas. Viffer's a fat ass. Viffer's, you know, it's like just too many insults against Viffer. Mm-hmm. And if he was his friend who talks to him frequently, why would he do that yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, it's like he's trying to insult himself to say, well, if he's insulting Viffer, he couldn't be Viffer. And mm-hmm. I, I have to think there's a good chance it is Viffer, and for whatever reason he he wants to spill all these things to the poker world without it being known to have been from him. Also, Private World is, is contradicting himself because earlier he was saying Viffer has no access to anyone in the high-stakes world, and he doesn't even talk to Viffer. Viffer's not worth, worth his time. And yet, in this post, he's indicating that Viffer somehow already knows what's going on. Like, within 19 minutes, right. he knows that Viffer knows that, that he's being accused here. So, uh, this is... Yeah, and that he talks to him because he's saying, oh, Viffer's wondering the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, if he's not posting, then how do you know that? So, now, if it wasn't for Jungle Man verifying that this guy does know some things, and if it wasn't for the immense detail in a lot of this guy's posts, I would say this is just some troll who's pretending he talks to Viffer and pretending he knows Viffer, but... I still think it's, I'm still in the camp in believing that Viffer is the one behind it, or maybe there's several people, be, be, several people behind this account. It could be more than one, though it does seem to be the same writing style for all the posts. But right, or may, or he may just have agreed to be a conduit for more than one person in you posting know, it. Someone laughed at me in chat about Viffer still hanging out on AIM. The last time I opened AIM, he was on there. I didn't talk to him, but he was on there. So, you know, I'm going to open an aim right now. I'm going to settle this right now. And I'll see if I see Viffer on there. And you know, I'll tell you, okay. by the way, uh, on a different show that I was once part of, this is the way I got a hold of Viffer to be on the show with us. Really? Not this show, but the last show. I got him, got a hold of him on AIM back in, I don't know, 2010 or something. Mm. Yeah, well, okay. Well, open your ICQ and see if he's hanging out. <laughs> yeah. No, he's not on right now. But I'll tell you who I do see on right now. Someone who never seems to log off. Uh, my ex-girlfriend from 1990 is on right now, but the interesting thing about that is she died in 2006. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not funny that she died in 06, but she, she's been logged into AIM for eight years since her death. So uh, either mm-hmm. AIM has some kind of bug or she faked her death, and I, I don't know about it. Maybe she faked her death to get away from me. But, but yeah, she's been she's seriously been logged in on her cell phone supposedly. I think that's the problem. I think it got locked some way for eight years. But I would have thought that like you know obviously that cell phone from eight years ago doesn't exist anymore. Uh, yeah, obviously. Like why is this still showing as being on? But mm. but she's not there. So anyway, uh, I don't see him on right now. But I I did see him last time I opened Aim. So he very well could be here. close aim before someone tries to bother me on there <laughs> so anyway we will move on to the Arizona prank call and keep in mind this is a very infamous place so I'm sure they've gotten a lot of prank calls before the best prank calls are the ones you can do to places that are not expecting them but this is not one of them so this is called the Arizona Baking Company 
And I know there's high hopes for this phone call, and I know a lot of you have seen them on the Gordon Ramsay show. But you have to understand, they may be very aware of prank calls. And that's why I'm going to try to hit them with this funny angle of uh, something being wrong with their computer. Maybe they may not recognize it's a, call, a prank call. I think that's my only hope. Here we go. See, that's what I got last time. And they're not closed right now. They're open. That's an answering machine. It's not a fax machine, by the way. We said that last week. It's an answering machine beep on the first ring. And that's the only phone number I have for them. Now, if somebody can come up with a different phone number, I'll be glad to call them. But that's what we got last time. And this time I'm calling during business hours. The phone number I have is 480-607-0677. So if anyone has any other phone number for the Arizona Baking Company besides that, or not Arizona, Amy's Baking Company, not Arizona Baking Company, Amy's Baking Company. Mm-hmm. Hockey guy's saying in the chat that they're closed. They're open till nine. I don't know. Last week I called. I called it like nine twenty. That was the problem. Right. Amy's Baking Company. So they have an answering machine with no message on it. That's what's happening. Or? Well, they they may have. Uh, they may have gotten... Maybe, they get, maybe they're getting too many pranks. They just... Yeah, that's what I think. I think they're getting too many pranks they just put on that weird machine. Mm-hmm. Who knows? They're so weird, I can totally see them doing something like that. I, I can try it during the day to make sure I'm being called a dumbass by hockey guy. I can try it, but I, I think that they probably have just stopped answering the phone. That's my guess. I don't think they're closing early. It's 8.34. If I called 8.55, you'd have a point. It's 8.34. I don't think they're closing that early, even midweek. Now, Arizona, they don't change the clocks, no, right? No, it's, it's 8.34 or... there, too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So everyone in the chat's trying to find a way to blame me. Oh, they're closed already. Oh, they closed early. You didn't call early enough. Why didn't you try them before? I, I think we're going to get this no matter when I call. But I'll, I'll try again. I'll try tomorrow during the day. And if we get them during the day... Then I'll try it like right at the beginning of the show next week. Seriously, Sirius is asking me to try messaging my ex-girlfriend who died in 06. Hmm. I actually have before. That's the sad thing. I actually have messaged her, and of course she didn't answer me. That's really weird, though. And like eight years later, I can kind of laugh at it, but like right after she died, it was kind of scary. What was also kind of weird was that she called me less than 24 hours before she died and acted totally normal. She left uh-huh. me a message. I wasn't home. She, I was in St. Kitts at the time at a uh, poker tournament. But she left me a message telling me to, you know, she owes my trip's going well to call her when she gets back. And... That was it. Less than 24 hours later, she died. Had a heart attack. So. At least she lives on an AIM. So, anyway. This was actually a girl, by the way, that I met on a party line. In 1990. And she was actually 
really attractive and not what you would expect of a girl who would be on a party line in 1990. Not just a party line. She's on a party line for phone hackers. Like, you would expect a girl on a party line for phone hackers to look awful. Yeah. Well, but, uh, genocide. Yeah, that, that's a good example. So I, I guess maybe uh, maybe that's a trend. Maybe that was a good place to meet women. And nobody had any pictures back in those days. So when I met her, it was a big surprise. And I didn't meet her, like, for dating purpose. That I kind of just met her when she was visiting someone else. And I, I was very surprised by it. Uh, was I dating her when she died? No, no. She died. We didn't last very long. And she died all the way in 06. And we dated in 1990 and early 91. We were still friends by then. We did still talk, uh, I'd say, about once a month at that point. But it was very shocking and sad to find that she was just gone. And very weird to hear that message on my answering machine. I listened first to that message from her, and then a message from her husband that he wants me to call her, to call him about something having to do with her. And it wasn't about me talking to her because he knew that we talked, so it wasn't him being jealous. And I, I had a feeling it was either that she died or that she was very sick or injured. And I was, it was so weird because I said, I hope when I call her husband that he tells me she was in a bad car accident and is really injured. Because I knew that's probably the better of the two things to hear. I knew it was something really bad. Just based on the fact that what you never talked to him. Yeah, yeah. I, we didn't like right. like he wasn't that thrilled about me and her talking because he knew we were involved and you know he knew that she still had a thing for me for a long time and like yeah. Oh he, really? Yeah, he wasn't thrilled about us talking. So there was nothing inappropriate of our conversations, but he, I knew he would not be calling me about her, and he didn't sound pissed. So I knew he wouldn't be calling me about her unless something bad happened. So I said, either she really got hurt, is really sick, or is dead. And I was hoping it would not be she was dead. And, and I called him up. Like, I got that message. I got back from St. Kitts. I was in the f- airport in Florida, in Miami. And I was checking my voicemail. And I heard those messages. I called him immediately. He told me. And I just, like, dropped my suitcases. Just, like, sat down on the floor. Bobby Orr asking me in chat, Do you know that gen- did you know genocide is out of the hospital? No, I did not know that. I also uh, was going to see her in person. I had planned to see her in person. She lived in Reno at the time. I was going to visit Lake Tahoe in January. And this was in uh, when I, she died in November of 2006. I was going to go to Tahoe in January oh seven, And that's very close to Reno. I was going to go see her for the first time in like 15 years. When I was there in Tahoe and obviously that did not happen so kind of felt bad about that too that I didn't make more of an effort to get to Reno to see her before that happened but I had no idea she would die Uh, strangely enough that trip in January 07 that I was going to be taking to Tahoe I did take and that was the trip which they just wrote about in the Wall Street Journal where I met Dan Bilzerian for the first time oh right the yeah suitcase guy story all ties together so Bobby or uh, or anybody else, if you know about genocide and why she's out of the hospital, please let me know. I, I know nothing about her getting out of the hospital. Let's take a look at her Twitter. Why not? 
I mean, she blocked me from pretty much everything, but uh doesn't mean I can't <laughs> look. Let me look. Okay, it says October 6th, yesterday, two months in the hospital and so thankful for all the support from friends, family, and amazing nurses. It made all the difference. Well, difference in what, though? What was she? Hmm. What was she in the hospital for? For two months. Ah, uh, you know, people who were suspecting she might be pregnant. I think we. Had yeah, one. I actually posited that she was doing some kind of surrogate thing. That was my guess. Uh, because listen to this: have been sick with either a reaction to the Tdap vaccine or flu all weekend and today. This is on September twenty second. Good thing I'm already in the hospital now. People don't get the Tdap vaccine typically unless they are about to have a child or going to be around infants a whole lot. And I know this mm. because I had to get that. It's basically the uh, the, the tetanus, uh, pertussis, and, uh, uh, and tetanus uh, shot. It's a pertussis, tetanus, what is D? I forget the D part. Of diphtheria. Diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Pertussis is the whooping cough, which has come back in recent years, believe it or not, thanks to Jenny McCarthy. Yes, that Jenny McCarthy. Uh, Because of the movement to not immunize children, the whooping cough came back after being a dead disease for many years. So it came back, and the whooping cough, while annoying for adults but not fatal, came Babies die from it. Little babies die from a whooping cough, especially ones that are under one. So your kid gets a whooping cough as an infant, there's a good chance your kid's going to die. So I think 10 kids in California died the year Benjamin was born of whooping cough. So it's a very serious thing, and you have to get that vaccine. So I had that vaccine, and you know you, you have it when you're younger, but it apparently wears off. They used to think it, it lasts a lifetime, and it doesn't. It, it lasts... Uh, I guess less than 10 years. And it had been a long time, a lot more than 10 years since I last had it. So I had it done in 2010, a few months before Benjamin was born. And about three weeks later, I came down with shingles. And I had a reaction, just like genocide did. I had a reaction from the Tdap vaccine. My arm really hurt from it, which apparently only occurs in 1% of the cases. And three weeks later, I had shingles, and I. You are the one percent, Todd. Well, yes, I right. I'm the one percent. <laughs> so I was thinking, see, being the one percent is not always good. I was thinking that it had to be from that vaccine, because shingles usually does not occur to people my age, unless there's some kind of problem with your immune system. My immune system is usually fine, but it had like a hiccup, I think, because of the bad reaction to the uh, Tdap vaccine. And sure enough, I was looking on the internet and found a whole forum of people discussing this, that they had this vaccine and within two to three weeks developed shingles. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) it looks like uh, some, it's anecdotal evidence, but I I have to say pretty strong anecdotal evidence. I I really believe that uh, there's not enough study about this and there's no conclusion about this, but I believe that vaccine brought on the shingles for me. Anyway, the fact that, Genocide is getting the Tdap vaccine while hospitalized, and since she mentioned Anya and blinging her out with baby stuff, and nobody knows who Anya is, it's got to be something to do with the pregnancy. 
Well, then I think uh, my surrogate theory is holding water, Jeff. Yeah. So now you think she is the surrogate, or you think that she's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think she's a surrogate for someone else? Yeah. I mean, that's a way that a lot of young, healthy women make, you know, good money, really. Surrogate's like 20 grand a pop, I think, something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, well, no, they're more than that, but but the women don't get... I don't know how much they get, but I always thought that it's just not a good job to have. It's a lot of effort being pregnant. It's not easy at all. It's a very tough thing. To, you have children, right? No, I oh, don't. you don't. I thought you did. Okay, never mind. But anyway, I, I I watched Benjamin's mom be pregnant with him, and I had watched my mom be pregnant with my brother and sister, but I was too young then to really pay much attention. But uh, and I guess they had my mom had pretty easy pregnancies with them anyway. But I watched Benjamin's mom be pregnant with him, and it was very tough on her, and she hated it. And it's something that really isn't worth that money. Unless $20,000 is huge money to you, which I don't think to genocide it is. So I hmm. I don't know. I can't see her doing that, but I I, I thought that maybe she uh, – it could be the reverse, that she actually had a child implanted in uh, into her that for her own. Like oh, maybe maybe like an egg donor or something and was implanted in her. That could be because she also said something about what was like we're making case studies, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, the case studies we're making history here, like something. I was thinking like mm-hmm. a, a standard pregnancy. What history could you be making? But right. I, I bet we're going to find out pretty soon that she has a child. Well, yeah, if she had a kid, I mean, that's that's going to be pretty hard to hide. So, <laughs> so such a mystery here with genocide. Such a mystery. But the Tdap really makes me think it's got to be about a pregnancy. I don't see any reason if someone gets a Tdap. Unless a baby's involved. A person in chat calling himself Lord Mycon, and no, it's not really Mycon, uh, says, Ofri donations get 12K. Yeah, that's if you're an egg donor. But I don't think she's being an egg donor. I, I could see her receiving uh, eggs from a donor. Maybe her eggs right, are good. You said that vaccine is only if you're going to have kids or be around kids. So if you're just donating eggs, you wouldn't need it, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're talking about shingles in the chat. If you had chicken pox, you have the virus in your system, and it comes alive later, yes. usually after the age of 48. Yeah, it's exactly – it's a mm-hmm. pox virus that's uh, coming back in a different form. And, uh, yeah, it usually is when you're older. And – the older you are with shingles, the higher chance it is that you will end up with permanent nerve damage from it. Shingles is actually a disorder of your nerves, and if you catch it right away and, and take medication for it, uh, you can get it under control after a few weeks, usually. But sometimes it'll cause permanent nerve damage. At my age, it was about 10% chance, but once you're over 65, it's like a 40% chance. Mm. But it is still good to have had chicken pox when you were young because I think if you get it, chicken pox as an adult can be fatal. Yes, it can be very bad. It comes with very high fevers. And it is true you cannot get shingles if you have not had chicken pox, but that means you can catch chicken pox. And, in fact, someone with shingles can give you chicken pox. Right. So, and that's the reason I actually had to stay away from Benjamin for the first month of his life. It was very tough for me to have my first child, and I cannot touch him for the first month because I could have given him chicken pox. 
oh, it's too dangerous when he's that young. Because I know when kids get older, parents actually have like chicken pox parties where they want their kids to infect other kids Yeah, well, because of the fact that later in life it's so... Well, there's a vaccine now for it, though, so you don't even need that anymore. They they actually have a vaccine oh. for it. So, so that, that's, that's an old thing. They, people don't... Uh, like Benjamin had mm. the chicken pox vaccine, but he couldn't get it until he's two months old. Because it, oh, I, I guess their bodies can't handle it until they're two months old. So, so I had to stay away from him for the first month until my... Uh, my shingles went away, and uh, uh, person texting me one in three get shingles. Well, yeah, but not by age, not at age thirty-eight. So that was that was unusual. It's not, it's not super unusual, but it was unusual. Definitely did not expect that. Uh, Real Chaser seventy-four in the chat said he got. I'm not sure if it was shingles or the chickenpox at age twenty-seven. Probably chickenpox, and spent a week in the hospital. Yeah, you definitely, if you're going to get chicken pox, you definitely want it as a kid. All right, so uh, moving on to the next topic here. Let's see. Let's talk about the uh, casual cash games. Do you belong to a, this is a, from a, a press release from Party Poker. Do you belong to the large crowd of players who don't, for whatever reason, multi-table cash games? Well, I, I think most of the crowd of players who listen to this show do multi-table cash games if they play online. Then you'll welcome our new table type, Casual Cash Games. These tables work just like normal cash games, but are only open to players who play a single cash game, except for tournaments, you can still multi-table those. Initially, they'll only be available at limited stake levels, but expect that range to expand soon. Casual cash games are marked by a smiley in the cash game lobby. Oh, isn't that sweet? They have a smiley. <laughs> isn't that sweet? So, this is an interesting innovation by Party Poker. They're not ring-fencing these games. They're not saying you can't play if you're a winning player. They're just saying... You can only open up this cash table if you don't have any other cash tables going. And once you're here, you can't start any other cash tables until you leave the table. So you're committing to play only this table here. And they're assuming here that this is going to be more heavy with fish because the grinders are not going to want to bother with this because it's going to have to make them close all their tables. Now, I have to say that if I were to notice these were really good games, I would probably close my multi-tables and just play in this thing, if they're much better than my normal multi-table games. But I don't know how it's going to happen. Like, if enough people do that, I guess then the games won't be as good anymore. But you have to think that what they're going for here is getting more recreational players there. And by limiting the grinders who... You know, to one table, if they play that particular type of game, that is going to make it just something they don't want to play. But I don't know. If you're someone just looking to make a profit here, you're going to go with whatever works best for you and whatever seems to be the best money making opportunity. And I would rather have one table of an excellent game than five good tables, you know, five tables of a good game open. What, what well, you... I think this is more geared for probably like lower stakes, right? No, they said they're going to expand it. Oh, really? 
Well, I think, well, I guess what I mean to say is this is going to work better in lower stakes. Like, you know, the, the guys that grind one, two with 10 tables, no matter how good one table is, they're not going to go there. You know, I guess, I guess if you're running like 10 tables, you're right. Like, see, since I'm a limit hold'em player, it's impossible to do 10 tables. Because limit hold'em, right. you're, you're in a lot more hands. You're in a lot of hands further than you are in no limit. Uh, the the hands move quicker because there's nobody tanking for very long. So mm-hmm. I found my absolute limit of cash games in limit hold'em was five. And five I found to be too much. I found that five I, I couldn't play my best because it was just too much. So I really preferred not to do five. Usually I would do four or fewer. And... My ideal is actually three, because I think three, it's not so much that I can't pay attention and get to know all the players around me, uh, and it's not too little to where I'm waiting around between hands. So it's like I have constant action for the most part, but it's not overwhelming. But like I can never do 10 or 16 or anything like that. It seems crazy to me, but that's for no limit players, it's a different story. So I guess if you are playing, like, ten tables and they're all good games, that one great game is not a substitute for ten good games. Yeah. So So I I think it's a good idea. I mean, I I think the only reason that limits are tougher online at the same limits is because you can play multiple tables. If you were still at the point where you could only play one table – I I don't see why, you know, 1-2 would be any tougher online than it would be in an actual card room. Well, so this will bring the level of those games down a bit, I think. I, I find that the games online can be tougher because they're more aggressive and, they, they, of course, it moves faster so that you have to have a lot bigger role to play them. And you know, between the added aggression and the speed of the game and the number of hands you get in, you can really win and lose money quickly. And that's why, like, in Limit Hold'em, I'll play as low as 1020 online, but I would never even think of 1020 Limit Hold'em live. I'd go crazy with that. So, uh, and at at the same time, you know, like, uh, back in the days when I played 200, 400 online, I mean, boy, boy, could the money go fast there. Boy, would it go really fast. And, uh... Maybe it was just the times, but I remember, you know, 2003, 2004, the same limit games used to be easier online, but nobody was multi-tabling, it seemed like. In fact, a lot of the sites didn't have the software to multi-table. And then as soon as the no-limit players started playing, you know, 10 games at a time, then the lower stakes got tougher because they're just mitigating the risk by playing, you know, 10 times a table at... Minus 10 times a level. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, party, po- not party poker, true poker. They Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. They, they, they they never, weren't they the last people that you couldn't multi-table? Well, yeah, they, they never got uh, big because of that. They were very anti-multi-tabling because they they were trying to create, like the name says, a true poker experience. And they said, well, in yeah. real live poker, you can't play two tables. That's ridiculous. So. We want you to feel like you're in a live card room. Well, that was stupid. Like, who wants to feel like they're in a live card room? You should also have people in your computer berating you 
whenever you you make a move that they don't like, like you should you should have uh, you, sh- you should have the dealer being abused constantly. You should have uh, people smelling bad next to you. That that's the real poker experience. Uh, but people play online for a different reason. They they want to get a lot of hands in. They want to do it from the comfort of their own home. They they want to be able to play a few games at once. And uh, so people didn't stay at true poker once they saw they could multi-table over on party poker and later on poker stars. So yeah. that was the end of true poker, which for a brief time was the second biggest site behind mm-hmm. paradise poker. Yeah. I remember they, they, they took that obviously to the extreme. You even had to, I think like click on your whole cards every time you want to see them, right? Yes. Yeah. You had to, like, like, it was just like, who wants that? Nobody. I used to mess with the animations on there where I would pick up my cards and put them down over and over. So it looked like I was doing, or I also like sit in and sit out. So it looks like I'm doing a dance at the table. It was really but it was people. bizarre. They were, they were like, Oh, this is the true, you know, realization of an, of a physical card room, but uh, you can be an alien. Like it just it didn't make any sense. They're a robot. I will say the graphics there, the 3D type graphics they had were really good. And this is a 2001 program, and yet the graphics on there were better than what you see today. In That's true. The 2014 poker rooms. So it was really well done in that way. But uh, it was a good social poker room. It was like a social media of, of online poker rooms. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. I, I've said before on this show the only time that. I ever met a girl through poker was on True Poker. It's my one and only time was was on True Poker. So, hmm. I, I I guess I have uh, I have True Poker to thank for the number of women I had sex with in my life being one higher. <laughs> so, anyway, let's move on. Uh, the Ravel Casino in Atlantic City has sold. They've had all kinds of problems. They were in bankruptcy and they have finally sold. They sold for a surprisingly low price. That price was one million dollars. No, that's not true. I would have bought it if it was selling for that. But now it sold for $110 million, which may sound like a lot, but keep in mind this property costs $2.4 billion to build just two years ago. It was supposed to be the crown jewel of Atlantic City. It was a beautiful property. Supposed to be uh, very classy, very upscale. Supposed to really change the game over there. Unfortunately, the Revel Casino was very poorly designed. And it was also poorly managed. And between those two, people were not happy with it. They didn't care that it looked nice when it was not run well and when the design of the place was very poor and didn't appeal to gamblers. It also was very expensive to maintain and to run. So it went under. It was sold through auction. It was bought by... Brookfield U.S. Holdings LLC on Wednesday morning. That was October 1st. And it is supposed to reopen. They are going to have a court hearing 
regarding this purchase, but uh, um, provided that this uh, goes okay, Brookfield will take control of the Revell. They want to reopen it and almost like act like uh, nothing ever happened. Uh, Brookfield has not explained what they're going to change. Keep in mind that even though they did not shoot off over $2 billion building the thing, they only paid $110 million, so they got a very nice property for $110 million. And really, if you think about it, think about like what expensive houses are worth. And I, I know in New Jersey they're a little cheaper than like in California, but, but think about you know, paying a few million dollars for a, for a very nice house. Now think of something the size of the Revell. And think of getting that for $110 million. And all of a sudden, it just seems like an amazing buy. $110 million is nothing for a, a property like that, something that costs uh, $2.4 billion to build. But if it's a money loser, then you still have to make money somehow. <laughs> if it costs more to operate than the revenue you take in, you still have a problem. And I don't know what they're going to do to improve that because there's nothing they can improve the management of it. They can improve the promotions. They can improve the customer service, but the, the poor design of the property is going to be hard to get around. So, and of course it already has a, a bad reputation from before. So I don't know what's going to happen there, but, uh, it will help the Atlantic City area if it reopens. Be a lot of new jobs there. They've already lost a lot of jobs from all the other casinos closing, including the Ravel, which had 2,800 employees that are now gone. Uh, I think they're going to have the priority to be reemployed over there, the ones who lost their jobs initially. So we will see. Uh, this could be one of these situations where a company thinks it's getting a great buy and picking up something f- that costs a lot of money to build for really cheap, but then they can't run it profitably anyway, and it turns out to be a bad business decision. I actually saw something similar, not about a casino, but uh, when I used to live in Redondo Beach, there was a little uh, shopping mall that they had built on Pacific Coast Highway in Hermosa Beach. And it looked really cool from the outside, but it was so hard to park there. The whole place was a pain in the ass. Like, people didn't enjoy going there, so all the stores in there failed. And uh, this was something that was bought by, uh, it was initially bought by the Japanese in, in the 1980s when they were buying up uh, real estate like crazy in the U.S. But it lost a fortune, and another company bought that mall at pennies on the dollar from the Japanese. And they thought they had a steal. But then they still have the same problem. They're still running a mall that was a money loser. So it kept closing. It was just a disaster over there. And the Revell could be that situation. Be like, uh, think if you could buy a sports team very cheaply. If that team is still losing money, and there's little you can do to change that, then you still wouldn't want to buy it, unless you could resell it for more money. But assuming you couldn't do that, just getting a good price on a business doesn't help you unless you can either resell it for more or if you can somehow change it to turn a profit. But I'm skeptical here as to whether the Revell can ever turn a profit, especially with Atlantic City uh, degrading. 
uh, Bobby Orr asking, doesn't having less debt make it a lot cheaper to run? I, I don't know if it failed because of the debt or just because I, I think it just wasn't turning a profit. I think the cost of, of operations was exceeding what they were taking in. I don't know if it's just about the debt. I think you're thinking more about like the Caesars properties where the debt is killing them. I'm not sure. I even really looked that carefully into the Ravel situation, but I believe they just were not turning a profit uh, operationally. Now, I haven't heard from my co-host. He's still here, Daredevil. Yeah, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. I just, I just want to make sure no, that just... uh, disappeared. Just have nothing to contribute. Oh, okay. okay, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, let's talk about something else then. I think you'll have something to contribute here. The Epic Poker League. Epic Fail Poker League. Uh, Annie Duke's project. She and Jeffrey Pollock started that. Uh, and boy, was that a flawed business model. They thought they were going to get major sponsors and somehow get major TV time. And, and boy, was it a mess. They just shot off all the right. money that was invested into that thing. They well, didn't it. they reveal that their whole back-end plan was making money off a Facebook game? Yes, yes. That was one Which of was many ridiculous. ridiculous things that they had that they thought was going to happen. They got a lot of idiots to invest in it who lost all their money, uh, who got away from it with a lot of money, though. Jeffrey Pollock and Annie Duke and a few others who were officers at the Epic Poker League walked away with Big six-figure scores. When I say big, I don't mean 100,000. I mean like you know, 500,000, 600,000. They, they walked away with a lot of money. Uh, I think they were making 300-something thousand a year. Some of them even like 400-something thousand a year. So they were they were raking in the dough and don't think any re- returned any of this money to the people who got screwed. Who got screwed? Well, all the regular employees there got screwed who weren't uh, officers within the Epic Poker League. There's the, the bloggers, the, the dealers, the uh, tournament directors, the other media covering it. They hired a lot of different people, especially a lot of freelance people, and those people never got paid. They were left holding the bag. Also left holding the bag were the players who were shooting for the big million-dollar free roll that they were going to have there, where basically if you finish top 27 on the leaderboard of the Epic Poker League, at the end of the year they would have a free roll for... One million dollars. And, of course, that never happened. They should have been forced to do it, but somehow they got away with not having that free roll. Annie Duke did not give away any of her money, nor did Jeffrey Pollock. They just walked away with it. They, they profited while everybody else got screwed. So... Everyone pretty much wrote this off that they're never going to get a penny out of the Epic Poker League and the the company is bankrupt and that was that. Well, somehow people got small payments from the Epic Poker League out of the blue. Really, really weird. I don't know what caused this to occur, but it happened. And it, it nobody even knows what caused this to occur. But Matt Savage, who was the tournament director, got a small payment from them. Not what he was owed, but a small payment. Uh, by the way, the company that, that technically ran the Epic Poker League was called Federated Sports Plus Gaming. And they filed for bankruptcy in February 2012. And uh, 100 creditors existed, over 100 creditors, for over $5 million in debt. So not only did they blow through all the money they had, they uh, ended up $5 million in debt. And I don't think that includes the million-dollar free roll that never happened. So Matt Savage, 
uh, apparently was owed $33,333. He would not say how much he received, but it was not anywhere close to that. Shortstack Seamus, who writes the blog called Hardboiled Poker, a listener to this show, uh, said that he received about 10% of the owed amount. He wrote some columns for them on their website. But it said that these are the final payments. So even though Shortstack Seamus is owed about 90% more, the 10% payment was a final payment, which is 10% more than he thought he would get, but still, he lost 90% of you know what they claimed they were going to pay him. He got stiff for that. Right. So where did this money actually come from? Nobody knows. It, it just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just so weird. Like, it just showed up. Everyone was shocked. That's just so odd about the whole thing. Like, like whose name is on the check? Federated Sports Gaming? So they're technically still... In business, or I, I don't understand. The I, story. I don't understand either. I don't know exactly who's. It was presumably some business name. It could be Federated Sports Gaming, Epic Poker League. I don't know what, but uh, um, you know, somehow they came up with a tiny bit of money, and they, so they probably shipped out like yeah, you know, probably a prorated ten percent of everything to everyone they owed. And uh-huh. another thing, it's a final payment. It's so weird because it says final. Just why? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really weird. I'm just afraid of one thing, Todd. Yeah. That this is uh, like Howard's interview, and he thinks this is like paving her way to return or something. <laughs> yeah. It, nobody can figure you know out what what's – Yeah, yeah. There's got to be some reason for this, and nobody can quite figure it out unless this is like some sort of legal maneuver to make it look like they're making good faith attempts to pay everyone. And uh, so, so they got whatever tiny bit was left in the account and, and paid this out. On a prorated basis to mm. everyone, but it's it's so odd. Like you, you have to wonder why why even bother paying these people ten percent of what's owed to them. Uh, they're yeah. not going to say, okay, well now I have no issue with the Epic Poker League, no problem. I'll, I'll just write off the other ninety percent. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm totally fine with ten percent of what I should have been paid. Like no no one's ever going to say that. It's not like they paid ninety percent and people are willing to give up on the final ten. This is ten percent. So like I, I I don't know what they're gaining here. Uh, nobody really understands it. And uh, so I guess the only people who got a hundred percent screwed were the players then, because yeah. they're not receiving any. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's see. Got a text right now. It's uh, the nine five four area code. Uh, why pay him though? Referring to Matt Savage, and this person thinks they're going to sell the name. They also. Uh, mm, that's possible. Also says. Also. Uh, Druff, I have the dash camera footage of cops pulling over those poker players. The cop is so in the wrong. The driver clearly knew exactly what to say to protect his rights. After the cop is done writing the ticket, you're free to go. He knew that. Asked to go, and the cop clearly shits on his constitutional rights. Can I send it to you here, and you can see it? Uh, yeah, if you have the footage that where we can actually hear something, sure. When I started playing that thing, it was just like a quiet video. That was, it was not that. usually mics on dashboard camps for yeah. cops, right? Yeah, that's why, that's why I stopped playing it. I'm like, we're not going to see, any, we're not going to hear anything here. It's just going to be uh, watching something with no sound, which is the worst thing for radio. Okay, so maybe I should do like a poker front alert TV sometime. Right? I, I don't have to subscribe things; you can actually see them. All right, so. 
Let's talk about uh, Dan Shack. Was hit with a trading violation from the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, it was actually technically the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC. And uh, they filed a civil enforcement order against him, and they charged him with violating the terms of a previous order and agreement that was reached in November of 2013. Now, he's currently a member of Team Ivy, by the way, Ivy Poker. He's been friends with Ivy for a long time. Uh, Dan Shack being a really rich guy, a hedge fund manager who plays in all these huge stakes uh, tournaments, huge buy and tournaments because uh, he has the money, so he just it's just a rich guy who likes playing poker for fun. Uh, he was married to a woman named Beth, who I can tell you had a very bad drinking problem, and they got a divorce, and Beth has appeared on TV since then claiming she's a professional poker player and that she made uh, so many millions playing poker that she can afford $6 million worth of shoes. <laughs> but uh, Dan Shack is having some problems. Uh, I-, I guess his company does some shady things. One of the things they do is they do... They participate in a practice. It's a market manipulation practice known as banging the clothes. And it's it's not as sexy as it sounds. Uh, Basically, uh, what they do is it's uh, they're attempting to artificially impact the market closing prices. And the way they do that is right as the market's closing, in the one-minute closing period, they trade during that period to manipulate the price. And I don't know enough about trading here to uh, understand how trading in the final minute of the closing period manipulates the price. Maybe because that's the uh, you know the closing price that people see between then and the next then and the next morning. But uh, they were doing this. Shaq's company was doing this, uh, and they got in some trouble in 2013 and made an agreement with the CFTC, the Commodity Future Trading Commission to stop doing this, that they would not do any more of this uh, banging of the clothes. But apparently in June of 2014, they did exactly this. Uh, or sorry, they did this in May of 2014 for gold futures, for June 2014 gold futures. On May 22nd, they did this, and it was a violation of that type of transaction um, you know, that was in effect against him because of the settlement he made in 2013. So basically he promised we're not going to do this again and then did it. So uh, he's not going to go to jail. The CFTC is uh, trying to get an unspecified financial settlement against him and his investment entity called SHK Management, LLC. Uh, in 2013, they collected 400 k from him as a settlement, which is pretty much nothing for a guy with as much money as he has. Uh, he was also in, in 2013 he was accused of uh, manipulating the price of light sweet crude oil futures on the New York Mercantile Exchange on two separate days back in 2008 uh, he was also issued a two year ban during that uh, November 2013 agreement that barred him from doing any trading during the closing period 
So he did it anyway. So it doesn't sound like he's the most uh, ethical businessman. Some of you might remember I had an encounter with Dan Shack and Beth Shack in 2005 before anyone knew who either of those two were, at least anybody in poker. I was at a World Series of Poker event, and there was a guy at my table, my first table, the first hour or two, who was very unlucky against me. Every time he had a hand, I had a better hand. I put four separate beats and coolers on him. I remember one of the times I had pocket sixes, and he was playing the hand weekly with checking and calling, so I had nothing. I was going to check the river because it was a bad board with like ace, ten, something, whatever it was, it was clear sixes were going to be no good. You know, if he called me down. Bet the flop he called, bet the turn he called. I'm like, okay, I give up. I'm going to check the river. River six. I bet he called. He couldn't believe it. He turned over top pair and uh, couldn't believe I hit that six. And that was the fourth consecutive beat or cooler I put on him. Reason he hadn't busted is because this is the limit hold'em tournament where the first few hours are meaningless. He even said, hey, I'm glad this isn't no limit. I would have been gone a long time ago. I will say that Dan Schacht, despite taking all these beats against me, uh, was in very good spirits about it. He didn't put me down. He, he didn't get mad. He didn't act like an asshole. He, we were laughing about it. So, I moved tables after a few hours. Didn't see Dan Shack again. What happened to me in that tournament? That was the one I won. That was my only brace that was in that tournament. Was it because of all those beats I put on Dan Shack? No. Uh, after I moved tables, I ran bad for a while, and I fell back to starting stack. So, I actually thought that all those great cards I got at the beginning will have been wasted. Turned out that they weren't, as I couldn't have done better in that tournament. But... Dan Shack, having... Uh, I think I, I finally knocked him out. I think that's what it was. I think I knocked him out ultimately. I didn't move tables. I knocked him out. Anyway, having this type of experience, losing all his chips to one player, Dan Shack was curious as to who would win that tournament. He had a feeling that with me running so well against him that I'd probably be the winner, even though this is very, very early on with hundreds of people left. He opened up cardplayer.com, and who is the winner of that event but me? So he found that to be very fascinating. He saw me in the hallway during the main event of the World Series about a few weeks later. And he came up to me, and he said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew you were going to win that one. It was only at the beginning, but I knew you were going to be the winner. I could just tell by the way you were running there you were going to win. So he was being nice about it, and he was kind of laughing about it. And then his wife, who had a drink in her hand, piped up. Never met her before. Nobody knew who Beth Shack was at this time. And she said, you know, you're lucky. You're lucky that, that, that you did this to him and not to me because I would have kicked you in the face. She really said this to me. I'm like, what? I, I couldn't believe she said that to me. And, and so he was immediately embarrassed. He's like, honey, honey, please don't say that. Be nice. And he said, no, no. I, why should I be nice to him? He, he did that to you. He beat you and all those, those hands where you were ahead of him over and over. I, I wouldn't have taken this. I, I would have actually kicked this guy in the face. And you're lucky that it was not me. And so he, he was so embarrassed. And he was, he was begging her over and over to stop talking like that to me. But she wouldn't. 
She would not stop. She just kept going off on me over and over. And the weirdest thing was after he finally pulled her away in the end of the conversation, I saw her like about an hour later. Because it turned out me and – I was out of the main event by this point. I was there to watch someone else play. It turned out the person I was railing was the same at the same table the people they were railing. And she sees me there. I'm like, oh, crap, here we go again. And she came up to me and started talking to me like I was her friend. So like she forgot that she had uh, that I was the same person she had just berated. Uh, so she, well, that she, does seem to be like the general consensus. Like I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Dan Track, which is really hard in the <laughs> poker world. Whereas a lot of people don't seem to care for uh, his ex-wife there. Yeah, and and so Beth Jack, um, she still had a drink in her hand at that point, like an hour later. And every time I see her, she's drunk. Like, she's constantly drunk. So anyway, I had a feeling that marriage was not going to last. I mean, just that little incident there, I had to imagine that... I didn't know who Jan, Dan Shack was. He was dressed like he was a very rich guy, and turned out he was. But I'm like, I can't imagine that a guy with this much money is going to want to put up with a trophy wife who embarrasses him constantly and is drunk constantly. Like, eventually he's going to say, I'm tired of this and give up. And, and mm. that's what he did. So, Well, have you seen his new trophy wife? No. Have you? Well, big upgrade. A big upgrade? Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's probably not as drunk either. I'm sure he probably was watching out for that. He's probably like, I'm not going to marry anyone who likes to drink. So, you know, Beth Shack also, she is really the epitome of a fag hag. She loves gay guys. Like, every guy that she wants to become friends with is gay. And I, I think she's one of those women who's actually, like, attracted to gay guys. There, there are women out there like that who really find gay guys most attractive. I don't know if it's like the they think it's going to be some challenge to convert them, which, which isn't even possible, but they, they sometimes think it is. And uh, I, I don't know what it is, but, but she is just obsessed with gay guys. And any guy that – I remember she even liked uh, – she was constantly trying to get the attention of Lance Bass, I remember. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think she eventually did yeah, get to know him. But, uh, yeah, Beth Jack – Definitely don't have good things to say about her. And, uh, boy, she really luck-boxed into that second place that she got uh, at the World Series. It's really proof that in a no-limit event, anybody can win. She didn't win, but she finished second. Yeah, I'm seeing his new wife, Anna Shack, And, yeah, she's uh, very attractive. She's actually uh, taller than Dan. Oh, actually, she's not taller. She's wearing high heels. But uh, she's taller with the heels than he is. And... Uh, a lot younger, too. Much younger. Much, much younger. Good job. Damn. <laughs> I guess you have that type of money. It's easy. Uh, Haley True. Hintz just uh, messaged me on Twitter that she got uh, the Poker Fraud Alert hat I sent to her. I'm glad she received that. And, you know, Forum Wars is pointing out that with Beth Shack trying so hard to befriend gay guys that when she saw me railing that table and didn't realize I was the guy who had put the beats on Dan, that uh, she may have thought that she found another gay guy to befriend. So I was going to play the laugh track for you, but it's it, <laughs> it, it, the one time the track well, didn't work. If one step is ever short on cash, he knows who to call. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But By I, the way, I, sadly, baseball update, Giants won. Ah, uh, boy. Moving on. That doesn't even deserve the ESPN update. Mm. <sighs> oh boy, now I'm gonna have to root for the Cardinals. Jeez. Well, see, I can't. I can't root for the Cardinals. So, yeah, 
I don't know who to root for. No, I understand. You're a Cubs fan. I understand why. You don't want the Cardinals to win. It's it's hard for me to root for the Cardinals. The Cardinals, uh, they've all this bad blood with the Dodgers. They they've beaten them two years yep. in a row. I mean, mm-hmm. a, I I still have to root for the Cardinals. I don't want to, but I have to. I, I don't want to see the Giants do it again. Especially the Giants, they haven't really deserved to win the World Series the last uh, you know two of the last four years. They just haven't. They they've played way over their heads, way over their heads. The, the teams were not as good as their championships have indicated and this team I mean this team had a few months of losing records this Giants team this Giants team had all kinds of problems and they they, they well, into I, the wild card I, and... I, I, I can't see them making past the Cardinals I hope not jeez well I'd be very surprised that's not what I wanted to see I, I didn't want to see the Cardinals and the Giants that's, that's like the worst result the worst <laughs> result the, the only thing I'm glad about is the Angels lost but other than that, National League, this is exactly what I did, did not want to see happen. So, all right. Uh, let's see what's next. Phil Ivey. He has already appeared, depending upon where you are, or will appear on Showtime at 10 o'clock, wherever you are, on a 60-minute sports segment. I don't know why this is on Showtime. Why shouldn't this be on CBS or something? I can't watch it. I don't even have Showtime. Too cheap to get Showtime. But Phil Ivey is on there explaining his side of the Crockford's edge sorting lawsuit. And this is a very interesting case, and we've talked about this before, where there was a defect in the cards, and Phil Ivey had a partner, an Asian female, who pretended she was a superstitious Asian woman, and they talked the casino into turning the cards a certain way to make it easier for Ivy to be able to detect the flaws, and then it allowed him to have a big edge on the game because he would know what these cards actually were, even though they were face down. So some people say that was cheating. Some people say it was only advantage play because it's not like he bribed a dealer to tip him off what the cards were or to turn them a certain way for him to see. He got the casino, the bosses of the casino said, yeah, sure, Ivy, you bet so much. Uh, your your companion wants the cards turned this way? Sure, whatever you say, Ivy, and let him do it. So they knowingly did it for him. And yes, he lied about the reason, but they did it for him. And it was their cards. He didn't mark the cards himself. The cards were already marked due to a manufacturer's error. So I felt that Ivy was simply engaging in advantage play, that he played by the rules of the game, the casino made allowances for him. He didn't uh, bribe or be in cahoots with any employees there to do things that they shouldn't have done. Everything happened out in the open. They just didn't understand why he wanted these things because he told them a different reason. But the why isn't important. The bottom line is they did it. The bottom line, it was their own flaws and their own cards that allowed him to have this edge. So it's my opinion that this is their responsibility to prevent. This is not cheating. I felt it was advantage play. But they didn't want to pay him at Crockford's. So there's a lawsuit involving this. It's about $11 million. We're not talking about a pittance of money, especially since Ivy is not getting the full tilt $1 million a month gravy train anymore. So $11 million is, is big money to him now. And let's hear the promo for his appearance on 
the 60 Minutes special. Secrets revealed. Desires explored. Characters reimagined. That doesn't sound like Ivy. Only on Showtime. Order Showtime now. Showtime. Brace yourself. Order I'm bracing Showtime. myself. Is this your new sponsor, Todd? I, I'm bracing myself for all the unpaid sponsors this show has. I'm going to send a bill to CBS for this one. This is not what it's supposed to be. And you can get $25 cash back. Visit SHO.com. What a misleading video. What the hell? Call now. Here's Todd, you doing affiliates for Showtime? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Sports. Well, how much poker have you played? None. Zero. Oh, okay. Ah, he <laughs> said, oh, that's bad. So, Phil, now, while you are known as arguably the world's best poker player, there are other games that you play as well, such as? Such as uh, Baccarat, I play. Black. I wonder if they have a black guy interviewing, interviewing Phil so like they feel like they have to. Like, like Seems like it, because if he hasn't even played a hand of poker, why are they sending this guy? Blackjack. I play a little golf for some money from time to time. I don't know. Do you play golf? Uh, I wouldn't play you. I can tell you this. I wouldn't want to play a game of tiddlywinks with Phil Ivey. I think you don't have anything. Okay. Because of just the way you're acting or whatever, right. so I would bet. He gambles on everything. When I was interviewing him, he was gambling on the World Cup while he was playing the World Series of Poker. He lost $500,000 on a Mexico game while I was there. He's been known. I wonder if he was gambling with those Chinese nationals who got busted in the, the World Cup. It's very possible he was. Probably to hustle famous people like Michael Jordan on the golf course. My name is Alvin Patrick. I'm the producer of uh, the Phil Ivey story on 60 Minute Sports. I already get that first hand in the air. Just get it on, huh? Phil Ivey is very, very bright and has been making millions since his early 20s. He lives in this sort of wonderful bachelor pad that overlooks the Las Vegas Strip. He's a brand unto himself. But now you find yourself being sued, or if you will, accused by two casinos of cheating. Biggest challenge in your career, biggest threat in your career that you're facing? Yeah, because once you get a cheater next to your name, especially in, in my business, uh, which is the business of gambling, it's, it's really bad. Not only is it unusual that Phil Ivey would talk to us during this time, but it's unusual that Phil Ivey will talk at all. I've actually been trying to get an interview with him for five years. He's accused of edge sorting. And edge sorting is essentially reading the design on the backs of cards so that you can identify what those cards are. I still can't tell looking at the cards. I had to put my glasses on and bring the card up very closely to be able to detect what the imperfection is. Some people believe that it was cheating. I know it wasn't, and that's why we're going to court. What the general population believes is cheating and what the world of gambling believes is cheating are two wholly different and separate things. By the way, they're showing him playing at the World Series of Poker, and they're showing him the very, very early stages of some event where he's, like, betting 225 tournament shifts. <laughs> so kind of an <laughs> odd time to film here. Like, why not film him when he's about to win the bracelet this year? Let me turn the hands up. All right. Okay, so you have a good hand. You have kings and nines. Right. That's two pair, so mm -hmm. you win all the chips. Mm -hmm. I only have a pair of nines. Right. Oh, there was no beating Phil Ivey at cards. He was toying with me. So you win. That's it. 
Man, I got it on tape. I beat Phil Ivey. <laughs> now we're going to play for real money. Ah, yeah, right. All right, I got to go catch this plane. <laughs> 60 Minute Sports airs on Showtime. I don't know why they have to have that part in there. How's that really a preview? Just uh, some guy playing fake poker with Phil Ivey. But uh, you get the idea. You get the idea that Phil Ivey is aggressively fighting this. Uh, next week, it's expected that it'll be ruled upon whether he beats Crockford's or not. I really think he's in the right here. I don't think it's cheating. I think that uh, if you can talk the casino into doing something stupid and putting the rules in your favor in any way, then so be it. You know, they they need to be the ones understanding when they bend the rules, whether they're taking a risk by bending the rules. When you come to them and say, I want you to change this, it's up to them to figure out why you're asking for it. Not just what you say you're asking, but um, it's not against the law to lie to the casino to make it an excuse of why you want something different. Uh, They need to assess the risk and say, okay, should we pacify this high roller and take the chance that maybe this gives them an edge? And they took that chance, and they lost. And it has been suggested that these casinos were aware of what Ivy was doing, but they decided to take the chance anyway, thinking that they could free roll him, because if he loses, they keep the money. And if he wins, then at that point they say, ah, we knew what you were doing, we're not going to pay you. I'm not sure if that's what they were doing, but it's possible. But the point is that uh, once they accept a change in the rules or a change in the procedure and everything happens out in the open, if they have inadvertently given Ivy the edge, then it's tough luck on them. And if they have defective cards that Ivy can use to be able to tell what the cards are face down, then it's their fault. They provided the cards. Now, if Ivy marked the cards on his own, then he's cheating. Then I'm on their side. Now, how do you feel? Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't want to jump the gun on your editorial, but uh, I think this also applies to the video poker case. That basically, I think if you're not bringing any sort of foreign object in or anything like that to change any existing game, if that game exists in a flawed manner, then that's on the casino. And if you convince them to change the rules or change something about the game that exploits a flaw, again, that's on the casino. Yep. Someone's saying in chat that the uh, 60 Minutes had a casino surveillance officer. I'm not sure if it was at that casino or just some casino surveillance officer. And that, that person said that Ivy did nothing wrong and will win his lawsuit. So uh, and someone, J-Stat is saying it's a douche move by him. I'm surprised J-Stat, who's a advantage player himself, would say that. That's surprising to hear from him. Hmm. Uh, but I, especially, I would say J-Stat might be in a bad mood, but the Giants just won. He's a big Giants fan. He should be in a great mood. So, uh, By the way, for those wondering in the chat, the co-host right now is Daredevil. So he's been a frequent co-host on this show. Uh So that's uh, will be interesting to see. And the editorial I'm going to have a little bit later in the show is also about advantage playing and cheating, but it's not about Ivy. It's about the video poker situation that we're going to talk about at the very end of the show, which is pretty close, actually. 
Right now we're going to talk about Bitcoin. The value of a Bitcoin at the moment, of course, depends on which exchange you're using, but Coinbase, which is a very common uh, Bitcoin exchange used for Americans, it's the easiest one to use. Right now it is uh, $328 for Bitcoin. $328, it's also that on uh, Bitstamp at the moment. Now, Bitcoin was once a lot higher than that. When I say once, I don't mean at its peak a long time ago. I mean, uh, not too long ago, it was at 500-something. Not too long before that, it was at 600-something. I want to take a look at the chart here. And taking a look at the 30-day chart, uh, as recently as what looks like September 9th, it was near 500, 492. It fell to a low of 275 on October 4th before rebounding around the low 300 range, and that's where it's been staying. The big crash really occurred starting, uh, I think, around September 30th, where it went from just a little bit under 400 to 275 before recovering a little bit. But it has lost almost 30% of the value in the past month, which is a lot to lose 28.85% of value in that time. Go back even further, six months ago, or a six-month chart, uh, as recently as late May, it was approaching 700. And... uh, then it hung around the 6th range for a while and then has been on a steady downslope since then. It's had a few crashes and small recoveries, but if you look at the chart, ever since June 30th, when it was in the mid-6s, it has steadily gone down, 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 and is right now sitting around 300. That's at 328. Nobody can really put their finger on what's happening here. Some people feel that this is Chinese market manipulation, but what we have here is a steady fall over the past three-plus months. We're talking between June 30th and the beginning of October. Bitcoin before was a lot more volatile, where it would shoot up, crash back down, shoot back up, crash back down. It was so volatile it was crazy. Uh, Recently, it's been more stable, but stable in the way that you were not seeing super fast falls until recently, but uh, more that it was just kind of hanging around the same general area. But now we've seen three months of steady decline. And does this signal the end of Bitcoin? So, um, people saying in chat, uh, Mount Gox trading bots ran it up to 1,200 the first time, is what's being said by Lord Mycon. Again, this is not Brian Mycon, but uh, Lord Mycon in the chat says, uh, uh, Mount Gox executed fictitious trades to pump up the price. Isn't there also now some sort of competing cryptocurrency that's gaining traction? Is there? I haven't heard that there's anything really threatening Bitcoin in that way. But I, I have heard I, there might be. I just haven't paid that much attention. But you know, I 
I, I'm just wondering if between the Chinese market manipulation perhaps going on and uh, people just losing enthusiasm for it, the fad is dying out and people are selling them off. So, yeah. uh, I don't know where it's going to go, but I, I'm not all that high on it. I, I, I considered, yeah, maybe I should buy some now that it's around 300 Because the difference of buying it at 300 versus something like 600 is it doesn't have to go up as much for you to make money. If it's a 600 it's got to get all the way back to 12 to double your money. If it's a 300 you'll have to get back to 600 which it just was at a few months ago, to double your money. So... Uh, <laughs> I was like, maybe I should buy some. I'm like, you know what? I just don't. I don't want to catch a falling knife, and it's been falling consistently for over three months. Now, I, I can't predict where it's going to go. It's very hard to predict Bitcoin. Very hard to predict. So I'm not going to pretend like I know, because I don't. But I just don't have a good feeling about it. I don't think it's going to stop falling, and. Someone asking in chat, Sinner, who I know is a very pro-Bitcoin person, do you think Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is going to go away? No, I don't. I've never said that. Um, It's a matter of how much it's worth. It can still be very much present, but worth only $40 a coin. If it crashes down to 40 that doesn't mean that uh, you can't still use it the same way. It just means that everybody who bought it when it was worth... uh, 300, 600, or 1,200 is out a lot of money. Uh, you have the crazy uh, Winklevoss brothers who believed it would go up to $10,000 per coin. <laughs> uh, you have people with all the crazy theories about it, but uh, it dropping precipitously in price is different than it going away. It can still exist the same way it exists right now, but just being worth less. And it's very possible that the amazing run-up that nobody expected. You have to understand, nobody expected this. It's not like we had the pro-Bitcoin people, the pro-cryptocurrency people saying, you watch, it's worth $10 today, but you watch, very soon it's going to be up over 1000 I didn't see anyone saying that. It just happened. Everybody was surprised by it. Now, once it started shooting up, that's when you started getting the crazy predictions about 10000 or whatever. But... Nobody expected it to rise in value like that. So it's very possible that it's just slowly but surely correcting itself. And as the hype dies down, so will the price. And that doesn't mean cryptocurrency can't still exist. It just means it's not going to be worth what it is today per Bitcoin. And I think that's what uh, some people are missing who think that any prediction of Bitcoin's value falling has to also correspond with the end of Bitcoin. It doesn't. Uh, someone else saying in chat, it's an unregulated market. It's going to get abused. I mean, it's... That's that's a one big problem. We've seen it already. We've seen it get abused so many different ways. Uh, not just Mount Gox. Uh, remember uh, Mount Gox's excuse for... The uh, well, I forgot the term. The term about uh, how people were able to uh, uh, pretend a transaction didn't go through and get people to double send. I forgot what was the term for that. That was the original uh, excuse that Mt. Gox used for why they didn't have the money. When in reality, uh, right? Reality, uh, malleability. That was a transaction malleability. 
it's, uh, but uh, there's been so many different problems with it, and uh, and of course market manipulation. It's open to that, and it's just a very immature uh, currency, if you want to call it that. It's it's very immature. It's it's uh, there's too much money in it to where the very smart and clever and devious people are going to find ways to abuse it. And that's not something that can be counted on as something stable to use as a, a real currency to buy things. So I, I know that there's still the very pro-Bitcoin companies and people and investors, but that doesn't mean it's not going to fall in price. So we have Sinner in chat who's very passionate about Bitcoin. That's great. But I'm just saying that uh, uh, we, we've seen a price degradation that's been occurring over time and, and, and very little as far as recovery. There's been a few small recoveries, but uh, everything we're seeing looks like the price of Bitcoin is returning back to earth because I, I don't think it should have been up where it was in the first place. I think it artificially got propped up there, whether it was by Gox or something else. Someone asking, am I shorting it on Bitinfinex or just talking? Sinner's acting. No, no, I'm just, I'm not shorting. I just said earlier I can't predict its value. And it's a very hard thing to predict. But I just don't feel that it's going to be anywhere back where it was. Uh, it's possible it recovers some and sits at 400 something for a while. But uh, I, I think it's, it is eventually going to fall. I don't feel like putting a lot of money into this and uh, shorting it, but that's just what I think. So, yes, I'm just talking. So, and, again, I'm not trying to hate on Bitcoin. I, I'm just saying that I don't, I just don't think it's, it's worth – it's going to remain worth per coin like uh, it is right now. Mm-hmm. You're just saying you don't think it's worth investing in. And, yeah, and I, and I don't think it's going to stay at the value it's at. And uh, uh, someone in chat saying Bitcoin needs constant stream of investors feeding the rise. That's true. So if if the public's fascination with it dies out, as I think it has been, then we're going to have the reverse of when the public was super fascinated with it and it shot up. Right. So you had people believing it's really going to reach 10,000. And if you're buying it 1,100, you're going to make huge money. Well, you see where those people are now. They they really know where if they bought it on Gox. So, I guess uh, the last thing to talk about is the video poker thing, which is an older story. It's being discussed everywhere today, but it's an older story. It's being discussed now because this just came out in Wired, on Wired.com, and it's an interesting story. And before Wired carried it, it was really, uh, this kind of flew under the radar. I actually made a post about this on this site and discussed it on this show, I believe, in November of 2013. But there's an article now on Wired.com called uh, Finding a Video Poker Bug They Made These Guys Rich, Then Vegas Made Them Pay. So, uh, basically what happened here was two guys who were video poker addicts. Their names were Andre Nestor and John Kane. Uh, found a bug in a Game King poker 
type of uh, poker video video poker machine in 2009. The bug no longer exists. And this bug, by going through a very specific sequence of button pushes, would allow them to get paid ten times what they were supposed to on whatever they made. So if they just won ten credits in this hand by using this bug, they could get paid a hundred credits. So... The game wasn't any different. They were actually still playing negative expectation video poker, except the difference is every time they hit a hand, they would force the machine to pay them out erroneously ten times instead of one time. So that would change just about any machine from negative expectation to huge positive expectation. Now, they weren't very bright in that they overdid this and got caught. If they just went to a whole bunch of different casinos and hit each of them for a few thousand bucks, no one would have figured it out. But they were they were winning way too much, way too fast at, at the same few places. And they were arrested. They were charged with computer hacking and wire fraud. <laughs> now, you might think, okay, well, I must not be telling you the whole story. They, they must have hacked the machine somehow, right? They must have... Uh, attached a computer to it and figured this out. They must have hacked into the software to figure out this bug. Nope, not true. What about wire fraud? They must have uh, it must have been involved uh, something involving wiring money to cheat these machines. Nope, not that either. These were two stupid charges that ended up not sticking because the prosecutors were idiots and they didn't charge them with any kind of theft They charged them with hacking and wire fraud. Now, the hacking charge stemmed from the complicated sequence of button pushes they had to make on the machine in order to make the bug occur. So they're saying, well, if you have to go press this, 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 this in this specific order at this specific time to make the bug happen, then you're hacking the computer. Well, no, you're not. A a video poker machine is, is a computerized machine, but it does not have inputs like a computer for the average player. It only has buttons that you press to operate the machine. Uh, just like you can't hack a soda machine. You know, you, you have buttons to select what type of soda you want, but you can't program the machines with the buttons to select Pepsi or Coke or Fanta Orange. So uh, basically, video poker is the same thing. So they found a sequence of things they can do to make the machine have a bug, but they didn't induce the bug. They didn't hack into the software at all. They had nothing to do with the software or the code running the machine. Uh, they just figured out how to access that bug with these button presses just from a fluke from experience of playing the machine so much. I think he, one of them even had one of these machines in their house. Uh, they didn't plan upon doing this. They just happened to f- figure this out and decided to get rich off of it. So that was where the hacking charge came from. I don't even know where the wire fraud came from. Maybe because they wired the money they won. I, I don't even know what they Or maybe they wired the money they started with. I, I don't know where the wire fraud part came in, but This had nothing to do with wire fraud. Wire fraud, here's an example of wire fraud. Uh, Let's say I tell Daredevil that if he wires me $10,000 tonight, I'm going to give him 50% ownership in Poker Fraud Alert. And then he wires me $10,000, and then I take the $10,000, and then I deny that I ever offered this to him, and I, I tell everyone that he just gave me that as a gift. Uh, if if they could prove that I made this offer to him and uh, got him to wire me this money, 
and then uh, and then just took it and didn't give him what I promised, uh, then I could be accused of wire fraud. But this is not wire fraud. The only way he it could be said they committed fraud is when they actually played the machine. It had nothing to do with wiring. So so they were found uh, not guilty for all this, and, and rightfully so. However, I felt that they were actually guilty of theft. They were knowingly using a glitch in the machine to cause it to pay out 10 times the intended amount. Similar to, to when you, uh, let's say you go to an ATM and say, I want to withdraw 20 bucks, and the thing kicks out 200 bucks. Uh, if you keep coming back to that ATM and requesting $20 over and over again because you know you're going to get 200 every time, that's actually a crime and you'll go to jail for it. Even though you didn't hack the machine, even though it's the machine's own bug, even though you discovered it by accident, if you keep going back and doing this and collecting money over and over and over again from the ATM, you will go to jail for it and you'll be charged and you'll be convicted. Uh, I, I think basically that's what these guys did here because they were not beating the game from a strategy perspective. They were actually playing a losing game, but just forcing it to pay out every time they win 10 times so it would much more than negate their losses. So that's why I feel they were actually committing theft against the casino. Now, I don't feel that the casino is worthy of sympathy. I don't feel like these guys are awful people. I don't hate them. I, weren't, I wasn't rooting against them. I didn't feel bad for the casino. I'm very aware the casinos are shady and that they want to separate people from their money in whatever, whatever way possible. I've also known of many instances where casinos have screwed people in way in very many ways. Many ways casinos have screwed people. Whatever way they can, they do, basically. But from a legal standpoint, these guys actually were cheating, in my opinion, because they weren't just playing a game and getting an edge like Ivy was. They didn't find a way to get an edge on an existing game. They found a way to make something falsely pay out where they lose, but they allow themselves to win by modifying the payout. Even though even though they are not actually tampering with the machine to do it, they found a way to make the machine erroneously pay out, just like getting an ATM to erroneously pay out. And that's the problem here. They weren't beating a game. They were exploiting a bug in something that dispenses money. And beating a game is a different story. Finding a way to take the existing rules of a game and turn them in your favor should not be a crime. But I feel that if you find a bug in a machine to where you can just get it to pay you what it shouldn't be and do it over and over, then that should be a crime. Let me uh, answer this phone call. Caller, you on the air. Hey, how's it going there, Gross? The talkie guy again. Yes. Yeah, you're talking about that uh, that uh, video poker machine, eh? Yeah. The one, the one thing that uh, I feel that you're you're correct about them stealing is, like, I read that article. Did they not say that they could go to a machine that they weren't even playing, that had a, a jackpot on it, like four nines or something like that, and then put their money in and do their thing? Um. You know what? I didn't read the Wired article simply because I was familiar with this story from back in November, and I had already done a write-up on the story, so I, I had not read the, the Wired articles. I just was aware of it today, and I didn't have time today to read it, and there was nothing – I didn't think there would be anything new in there. So I, I can't comment on that, but uh, 
Uh, but basically, it's, yeah, that that's the way I read it actually. Okay, so that they said they too. would go to a machine and they would see it had four aces on it already, and they'd somehow be able to, like, get it to repay out. <clears throat> excuse me, but at a higher amount. Yeah, and that's even worse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as long as it wasn't the, the, the max bet or something like that, they could go to a machine that had a yep. pretty good payout and then get the you know maximum payout on that machine. So I, I totally agree with you. It's, that part of it's stealing. Like, that's that's totally wrong. Yeah, but see, you're not beating a game. You're not, you're not finding a strategy to beat a game that's supposed to be odds against you, but you find a strategy there that can beat it. This is actually losing, playing a losing game, but, but tricking it into overpaying you. Uh, through a glitch, and that's that's a whole different yeah. story. And and as I said, I'm not I don't feel sorry for the casinos for having this occur to them, but and it was their fault for allowing it to happen. But at the same time, these guys uh, were cheating. They, they were the. It's the same thing, in my opinion, as you win a hundred dollar chip and you go home and you modify the hundred dollar chip to look like a thousand dollar chip and you bring it in and cash in a thousand. No, yeah, I, no, I, don't, no. I, don't, I don't. I disagree. I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel I don't feel bad for the casino and I also don't feel bad the guys got caught kind of I kind of agree with you on on that because I think you feel the same way I just wanted to make sure that you you knew that that's what was happening they they figured out they could go to a machine that had whatever payout and and, and they, didn't, they didn't even put any money in well I think they did put, both things I had read back in November then, I had read back in November yeah. that they'd actually play, and then when they would hit one of these big payouts, that's when they would switch the denomination. Uh, it was through the double-up thing. There was a double-up yeah, option these yeah, things yeah. have, and, the, yeah. and they would it switch the denomination and would pay them at that it denomination. Machine, it had to be a machine that had the double-up yeah. activated on it, right? Yeah. So right. They, they said in that article that they could go to a machine that, that they weren't even playing and find a jackpot and do what they do, which is... Totally. Yeah, if they left it on the last hand, that was a big payout. That's yeah. right. As long as they cashed out right then, right? Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that in, in case you didn't know it, and I'll let you get back to your show. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah, so these, these guys were... Uh... Well, Todd, i got to say I'm on the other side of this issue. Okay, so what, what do you ha- what's your uh, point of view on this one? Well, again, I think as long as... you know, And I don't think your analogy with the chip is... Analogous, because in that way they're taking something home, and they're purposely modifying it. Right now, they've just discovered this. A glitch in a software is a glitch in a software. So if I sit down to a slot machine, and every time I hit spin, it hits the jackpot, that's a glitch in the software. It doesn't matter how many. If I figured out a combination, or if it just does it by itself, right? So to say that. You know, that's stealing on the same level. I, I disagree. And just like the Phil Ivey case, they said in this article that they called casinos and said, hey, I'm a big time, you know, video poker player because most machines didn't have this double up feature enabled because it was very unpopular with players. So they would call in and say, yeah, I'm a big time video poker player, but I'll only play if you turn on this double up feature. So I really, I don't know. I don't, I really don't see how. A flaw in a software is different than a flaw in a card. Well, I'll tell you why. Because this is if they if this is a double up feature, um, when they turn it on, change the pay table. I know that's not what happened here, but let's say it changed the pay table to where the machine goes from negative expectation to positive expectation. If they turn the double up feature on, they don't realize it, and so they they convince all these places to do it, and they play a, a big time positive expectation game. Let's say let's say for example, it it changes the. Uh, uh, the, the flesh and full house to be three times what they were. 
because of some bug in the double up feature. Okay? If they do that and they convince places to put the double up feature on, and then they go and play them and, and beat the game. I don't think that should be a crime because they are they are just finding a way to beat a skill game. They're they're not the ones setting at the pay table. The pay table set by the computer the, the by the uh, by the casino. It has to be monitored by the casino, and uh, that's what determines whether the game is positive or negative expectation. And if it's set incorrectly to where the player has the edge, that's the casino's fault. Even if the player finds a way to uh, um, you know, choose to get them to choose the game or to put a double-up feature in or whatever to where they will have that advantage, it's a different story where they're actually beating a pay table that's, that's on the machine. But, but here they're actually losing. They're playing a negative expectation game, but just forcing it to overpay them to where they, they have really only won $10, but they're collecting 100 that's my problem. Right. Is they're actually collecting but, extra money that they shouldn't have won. It's all from a flaw in the software. So, you, so do you think if there's a slot machine that incorrectly, uh, let's say it pays a, uh, a jackpot every time just because the software is no, that's broken. fine. That's fine. Okay, so what's the, the difference is because the player is not responsibility is not responsible for determining that a game is properly set with odds against them. It's not the player's responsibility to sit down and go, hmm, I think this machine is too advantageous for me. I shouldn't play because I'll feel bad for beating the casino. The casino has to have the edge over me or I won't play. The, the, mm-hmm. the patron should never have to think like that. The patron should sit down, play normally, and if they happen to be at an advantage machine or if they even notice it's an advantage machine and the casino set it improperly, then tough luck on the casino because they set the thing improperly and it's a, you know they're the ones who determine when they set the pay tables on any kind of machine or the odds on any machine, when they set this, when they invent a game or, or set the odds for a game, they are doing it based upon we're setting it in a way to where we're going to have the edge. But if they screw it up and the player has the edge, tough luck on them. It's a, they don't have. There's no law that the player has to be at a disadvantage, and if the casino stupidly puts them at an advantage, then they have to eat it. But this isn't putting themselves at a disadvantage. This, and this isn't even a, a disadvantage occurring accidentally due to a bug. This is to where the machine plays normally, but they find a way to have it overpay them. When it's all said and done, right. and they've already been paid for the hand, they can trick the machine into overpaying them, and that's no longer about skill. That at that point becomes about stealing. So it's just the fact that they're not playing normally that you're taking issue with. It's not so much not playing normally. It's that the game is already over, and they're now making it overpay them. That's the problem. Okay. So if I was playing a slot machine and I was betting the minimum, but I found out that there was a way, let's say it's a five-reel machine, and I found out after the first three reels line up, I can hit bet max, and it will pay me out the max, and the first three reels have already lined up to win. Is that the same thing? Yes, it is still the same thing because uh, again, um, okay. you're, you're having See, to pay. See, I, I, I mean, on, I, I agree technically that obviously legally you're right, but I, I don't know. And and like this article says, they actually tried to report it to someone, and the guy just laughed it off. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, at that point, it's I would kind of think, well, okay. It's a free-for-all, then. I think that the casino is responsible for... Well, I, in my perfect world, the casino would have to pay them, and then the casino could then 
you know, sue the video poker company or whatever for giving them a machine with problems that cost them money, yeah, and see, they would recoup I'll, the money from them. See, I think that um, when, when it comes to cash outs and things like that, I, I just think that they're, at that point, if someone's taking advantage of a bug at that point, you have to have it to where uh, the person can't can't do this. Here, here's an example. Let's say uh, instead of 10 times, they could get it to be 1,000 times. Should that mean that if they, if they can find a way to trick the machine into paying them 1,000 times, that the, the casino has to honor that payment? I mean, it would be crazy. It would, it would be uh, – they could bankrupt the casino this way. There has to be some controls and say a human being can make judgments like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. Even even an idiot can figure out, okay, the, something's wrong here. This isn't normal. We're going to stop it and figure it out. Uh, a machine can't. A machine can only do what it's programmed to do. And if it has a bug, until someone catches it, uh, if everything's done through an automated system, a, a person can really take it for a lot of money. And I, I think that the big problem here is anything that occurs – at cash out is uh, is a different story. I think it's once the game's over. Okay. Once the game's over, to trick it to pay you more than it's supposed to is a different story than finding a way to play a game where the edge is on, on your side. So if I took a cash out ticket to a cashier and he paid me more than the ticket is, that is on me as well. See, there's a difference I agree between, it would be immoral there's or a difference between, maybe. But. There's a difference between a one-time thing and repeatedly doing it. So here's a difference. Let's say you go to okay. a, a uh, cashier and give him a ticket for 100 He pays you $1,000. Uh, it's mm-hmm. tempting to just walk away with 1000 and say, okay, I, I know it's technically immoral, but it's a casino. They're trying to separate me from the money, and you know, I, I got a little 900 bonus here. You know, Screw the casino. I'm going to take it. A lot of people would do that. But – Mm-hmm. If you kept coming back to that same cashier and notice he keeps making the same mistake for whatever reason, uh, and you know you're you're specifically seeking him out because he makes this mistake over and over, and even though you and him don't have a direct agreement to do this for whatever reason, he keeps doing it for you. Then it's a different story because now now you're you've noticed a flaw here, and, and you're uh, you're having this guy steal for you, even if he doesn't realize he's stealing for you. I think there's a huge difference between coming back over and over to do it and, and just walking away from a one-time small gain. So it's the same reason for someone in an ATM who tries to withdraw uh, $200 and is paid 2000 that if they just walk away and never come back from there, I would have much more of a problem seeing that person be prosecuted than someone who comes back to that machine every day and keeps taking 2000 out of there. Yeah, I mean, again, I... For me, also the fact that they brought it to someone's attention, and they just said, "Oh, ha ha ha, that can't be true." <laughs> I mean, what well, like what more do you want them to do? The only thing is, so you're saying they should just not do it, but I don't know. I kind of think the onus is on the casino to correct it, especially after they've been informed about it. See, I hadn't heard before about informing someone, and I can't imagine that the casino would just ignore this unless they just thought these guys were idiots. Yeah, uh... that's in the Wired article. They said the very first time it happened, he informed the slot attendant, and the slot attendant laughed it off and said, like, ha, 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 that's impossible, and just paid him the jackpot. Yeah, well, see, that's uh, well, that's that would explain why the first time that it's fine for them to walk away with the money, but not to keep returning over and over. If the, if the person just thinks they're crazy, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, keep taking the money. So I, I, now again, I don't hate these guys. I don't think they're awful people. I, I 
can kind of see how it was tempting to do this to a big casino. Casinos exist to take your money. Casinos have all the odds against you. Casinos try to you know, do whatever they can to get people to, into their doors and to basically go broke and, and lose all their money there. And uh, mm-hmm. they have hosts employed to pretend like they're the players' friends and, and uh, try to get them down there. So just the whole casino industry is based upon getting, you know, taking advantage of people's gambling addictions and, uh, and taking their money. And so I, I can't feel sorry for when a casino has something like this happen to them. But at the same time, there have to be laws, there have to be rules in place, and this is different than advantage play. I think advantage play is a great thing where smart people figure out how to take negative expectation games and turn them into positive expectation and beat the casino. And I think that's great. But I, I don't think it's great when people just outright cheat them. I think that's a different story. And that's why, while I don't hate these people, and I don't think that uh, I'm not rooting for them to suffer, or I wasn't rooting for them to get in trouble, I can understand why they were arrested, and this is a very different situation than where advantage players get persecuted by casinos. I don't think these guys should be the poster boys for persecuted advantage players. That's, that's I mean, I... for myself, like I, you know, I have corrected a teller because they gave me too much money in a, you know, at a poker cage or whatever. But I don't know. Uh, there, there's one side of me that just says, well, you can't ignore the human instinct in general that if you're going to be giving away money, basically, that people are going to exploit that, and the onus is on you to, you know, prevent that from happening. Yeah, but I, I, I can see what you're saying. But. Yeah, but I, I think it's important to have something in place to not just uh, allow people to take advantage of automated machines making mistakes and just uh, enrich themselves mm-hmm. based upon automated mistakes. Now, I'll say this. Like, I've had it before where I notice an error in my favor on a phone bill or a cable bill or something, and I don't call up and say, hey, you, you gave me a $60 credit that I don't deserve. Take it back. And there's right. a reason I don't do that. And the main reason for that is that I've had to waste so much of my time with these very same companies when they make an error against me. There's no one checking on my behalf that they're making errors against me except for me, and I've got to waste my time calling up and having them fix it, and I don't get anything back for that. So I say, look, uh, you know, in the rare case, and it is a very rare case when there's a small error in my favor, uh, I, I think that's payback for all the time I've had to waste to correct stupid errors they've made against me. And, and especially idiot customer service reps fighting me about, you know, when, when I'm right. And so I, I don't feel the slightest bit guilty taking that money. Uh, however, if, if I could find a way to every month have them make huge errors in my favor, uh, especially if it would be something I'd have to do consciously and not just have it show up there. Uh, that would be a little bit of a different story, and there I wouldn't feel as good about doing that as I would just taking like a one-time $60 mistake they make in my favor. So, yeah. uh, now let's see in the chat they're saying, uh, uh, Stat says, guys like these video poker players and Phil Ivey give advantage players like card counters a bad name. See, I, I don't think Ivey, while he's doing more than a card counter, uh, I still don't think, I still think he was just an advantage player. He just was an advantage player who did it for very high limits and and, and had a more complicated scheme in place. But uh, I, I still consider him an advantage player there, but these video poker guys, they definitely think were cheaters and not advantage players. And that's really what this editorial is about. It's a kind of a, a combination of story and editorial. My editorial is that 
cheaters and advantage players are not the same thing. I have had people tell me that I'm a cheater for card counting. And I say, how am I cheating? Well, the casino doesn't want you to. The casino set up the game to give them the edge. And, and if you card count, they don't want you to. And you know they don't want you to because they kick you out when they, they found out that you do it. So, so therefore, you're cheating. If you weren't cheating, they wouldn't kick you out. I say, that's not true. I'm not violating any of the rules of blackjack. I'm, I'm, I'm just watching the cards and figuring out when it's advantageous for me to bet more or bet less. Or sometimes when to stand instead of hit or hit instead of stand. And I'm not using any shenanigans to look at the cards that I'm not supposed to see. I'm not having any dealers help me cheat. I'm not using any kind of devices. I'm just watching. I'm not seeing anything more than anybody else. I'm just keeping track in my head of what other people are ignoring. And that allows me to make better decisions and make the game swing in my favor. And why I can understand why the casinos have the right to stop me from playing blackjack when they catch me doing it. Uh, I'm not doing a bad thing. I'm just turning a negative expectation game into a positive expectation game through skill. The same way that you turn skill, the same way you would turn an average player whose negative expectation at a poker table because of the rake turns himself into a positive player by becoming better through skill than the other players at the table. It's the same thing. But cheating is a different story. Cheating is where you're actually interfering with the game in some way and changing the way it's being played to where you're giving yourself an edge that way. You're not playing within the framework of the game and finding a way to beat it. You're finding a way to cheat. So uh, it's like the the baseball discussion with steroids. Uh, are you cheating by working out or, or spending a lot of time in the batting cage to become a better hitter or by watching video of the pitcher to see his pitching habits and you know, and hit off him better? No, you're not cheating. These, these are things you're doing to gain a skill advantage in baseball. But if you if you put things in your body like steroids to give yourself uh, advantages that a normal human body would not have, then that is cheating. And that's that's the way I see the, the roids thing, that people who did roids were cheating. And that's the way I see anyone who cheats casinos is in a very different category than the people who play within the framework of the game and just figure out, to, figure out a way to beat it. So uh, advantage players are not cheaters. Uh, I, I had someone really on my case on this site about the way I earned a lot of tier credits and rewards credits at Caesars when I played the video poker heads-up machine. Not video poker. The, there's the poker heads-up machine. Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Texas Hold'em heads-up machine. And someone was very unhappy with me because I earned tier credits and rewards credits very fast playing that machine, much faster than people earn them at video poker. But what did I do to earn them? Did I press a sequence of buttons to trick the machine? No. Uh, Did I do anything to manipulate the casino or the machine? No. I was playing a machine that the casino staff did not understand what the proper way to have it comp players was. They, They put a comp setting on it that was too high. They knowingly did it. And in fact, when they realized their mistake, they modified it and again made it too high. They cut it down by like a factor of six, but it was still too high. Not as high as it used to be, but but it was still too, way too high. Then they finally right. removed the whole thing. But the point but is... But can't you say the same thing about, the, I mean, they knowingly put out 
the video poker machines with the software issue. No, but they didn't know they had the issue. Just because one guy didn't believe them. If they actually really knew of this issue, they would have pulled it immediately. And the thing with that's the difference is that they when they set this comp thing, they're like, okay, we think in this Texas Hold'em heads up machine, it should comp this much for every dollar bet. And they, and it's just because they stupidly didn't understand that you are betting a whole lot of dollars per hand in, in Hold'em. So a ten twenty game, you're really ending up betting, you know, in a heads up game, often hundreds of dollars in one hand. So, right. so it shouldn't be comped the same way as a video poker machine where you're doing you know three hundred dollars a spin. So mm-hmm. they weren't They're understanding just doing a pure that. coin in per yeah. yeah, and they didn't understand that it wasn't the same thing because they just didn't understand the game, and that's on them. They didn't understand their own game, and I and and they set comps based upon that belief that it, it should be the same as video poker when it shouldn't be. But it's not up to me to decide what the proper comp level is. That's what they're that's what they're doing. And I was earning comps at the rate that they said I was supposed to. They just didn't understand mm-hmm. how, how fast I'd earn them. So I don't see anything ethically wrong about that. And just like when they caught it and changed it and again left it too high, uh, and then when they finally stopped it altogether, I didn't say, oh, they have no right to stop this. They they have a right to, to change it. But... but uh, I was not doing anything wrong. I, I just noticed that I was I was playing a machine that had a high level of comps. And if you find mm-hmm. a machine they set to comp you a lot, then, then tough luck. Uh, no, I do think what the video poker guys did was ethically wrong. It's just, I don't know. I guess I kind of feel like I have a problem with the overall. It feels like a slippery slope for that. I feel like you should have your own house in order. I mean, it, even let's say I go and I hit one jackpot and then I spend all the money and they come back and say, well, it was a flaw in the jackpot or in the slot machine software. Now this is a different case, but then would I be liable to give them the money back? You know what I mean? I agree in this case, it's so egregious, but I just, I don't know. It seems like overall you should just be responsible for your own machines. And if there's a flaw in the software, I don't, I don't see how that's the patron's responsibility. If, see, if it was a, if this was unknowingly, if they just, uh, if some dope sat down on the machine and didn't realize it's paying him ten times too much, and and walks away and right. it's like, wow, I don't know, I didn't feel like I'm doing that well, but I want a lot of money, so who might have questioned it? You know, uh, mm-hmm. then you don't charge that person. But these guys knew exactly what was happening, and they had to enter a very specific sequence of button pushes. Uh, to make this happen, I I actually knew somebody who um, got in trouble. This is a long time ago, but I knew somebody who got in trouble because he figured out at his college, uh, and this is back in the days when phone calls were not were expensive to make. Uh, he figured out that uh, on the college PBX system, uh, instead of hitting nine to dial out, if you hit eight, it doesn't charge you. Dumb, dumb flaw in the system. Obviously, really dumb flaw. Mm-hmm. But everybody, you know, they tell everybody hit nine. If you hit nine, it charges you normally. If you hit eight, for whatever reason, it doesn't bill you. Well, this guy actually got in trouble for it and actually got charged with theft. And at first, I thought this is outrageous. You know, he didn't hack the system or anything. He just uh, hit eight instead of nine to dial up. However, this guy made the mistake by bragging to all his friends about it. And and uh, that wasn't actually how he got caught. They just caught him independent. His friends, his friends kept quiet. In, uh, however, uh, once the police questioned his friends, uh, some of them couldn't keep their mouths shut and and, and said that uh, what he'd done. And and the guy actually got in trouble because he knowingly went and made these calls knowing him getting for free. Where if 
Whereas if nobody else knew what he was doing, he could have just said, oh, I thought it was eight all this time. Oops, sorry. And then if they right. asked why, why he didn't get a bill, that, why he never noticed, he could have just said, well, I, I, I don't know. I just uh, I assumed the bill would come later. He, he could have talked his way out of it then, and there's no way they could have charged yeah. him. But, but here, that, that's he, sort of – yeah, that's sort of my point, though. I mean, I don't – but then I know I'm in the vast minority. Like, I, I don't think intent should be a factor, even with uh, – yeah, you know, I've had this discussion with someone who's an attorney, where murder, where the people that do it in the heat of the moment have a lesser sentence than people that plan it out. For me, I don't want the law evaluating people's thought processes. Basically, well, you're committing thought crimes. I, yeah, like, I agree with you on that To me, one. it's just you've done something, and the penalty for something is X, and I don't care if you decide to do it at that moment or you planned it for 100 years. Well, no, I agree with you on that part but, about the, about the planning of murder. Uh, when it comes to things like theft, you, ha- you you do have to look: was the person inadvertently doing it, not understanding what they were doing with it, or or were they uh, um, exploiting it and actually committing fraud? There's a big difference between mm-hmm. accidentally receiving something and not understanding you're, you shouldn't be receiving it. Like like in that that right. thing I gave with the with the billings, with where you get a credit you don't expect yeah. and shouldn't have gotten. Uh, if you don't even notice it on your bill, obviously you've, you've done nothing wrong. Uh, if you notice it once and say, okay, well, I don't know what this is. I probably shouldn't have gotten it, but no big deal. But but if let's say you know, you're getting free cable service every single month, and, and let's say uh, you found out that you get that if you if you call up and uh, you know and, and press certain buttons on the menu every you know, that, that becomes a different story. Then you've, you've kind of found a way to steal, and it's it's different than just inadvertently getting something for free. So that, that's what I'm saying here. It's 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 very clear in this case that. These guys were doing this with, you know, they fully knew what they were doing. They were no, intending course, yeah. to do it, and they, there's no excuse that they could put up of that, you know, it happened accidentally. And mm-hmm. they were not playing at an advantage in the game. They were actually playing at a disadvantage, but just tricking the machine to overpay them after the whole game's right. over. And that's why I think it's a, it should be a, a crime. And I, I do think Jay Stat's statement about it makes advantage players look bad is true. It does actually... Uh, make the players look bad. Now, JSTAT's saying that telling the dealer to turn the cards a certain way, in Ivy's case, is manipulating the game. And normally I'd agree with that. But they didn't tell the dealer to. They asked the management of the house to let them. And if the management said, is it different than just tricking an idiot dealer? If they got the management of the casino to say, yes, we will do this for you, then at that point the rules of the game have changed. And, right. and that's fine. That, that's how I feel. I, if they talk some dealers into doing it, then I'd feel like, oh, that, I, I'm starting to think the casino might be right. That, that I'd think about that. If they just really? Got some, if they, yeah, if they just got some dealer to do it, like, hey, you know what? I hmm. want you to turn the cards this way. Then I think, okay, they're taking advantage of a dealer who's kind of out of it. And then, I, then I'm starting to – I'm not sure where I'd be, but I'd be much more open to being on the casino side than in the case where they actually get management to approve. Uh, and then mm. management, uh, you know, once management approves it, approves it, then it's there's no question that's the new rules of the game. They, they can't cry foul after that. That oh wow, this gave Ivy an advantage. Well, tough luck on them. Yeah. They should have watched for that. No, I agree. I'm not sure if I agree with you on the dealer though, but because I mean, no, <laughs> I mean the the dealer doesn't just take orders from the players to deal the game differently. I mean, you'd have to find someone who's a pretty big idiot to just like say oh well I want you to deal the game this way not the way you were taught just because I said so I mean no dealer I've been a dealer 
I mean, almost no dealer would do that without saying, well, you know, I got to clear that with the management. Or no, talk no, I, to I agree. Certainly. I agree that it's unlikely to do it. But if you find an idiot to do it, at least it can be said maybe you're taking advantage of, of, of a low level employee that doesn't understand what they're doing. But here they got they got management to do. Once management says, OK, you can change this game. Now the game has been changed. Right. Then it's, that's on management at that point. They can't uh, um, they can't say, well, hey, we're upper management, but uh, you tricked us into providing a positive expectation game for yourself and we want we don't want to pay you now tough luck it's, that's what upper management is supposed to make those decisions to make them right and if you don't it's on you mm-hmm. so anyway anybody wants to call in 775 fraud 55 775 372 8355 and uh, if nobody calls that'll be the end of the show and uh People taunting me on Twitter about the Giants. I mean, that's just why do the Giants and the Dodgers have to have opposite results on the same day? It has to be the same day, you know? Like you can't can't even be a few days apart. I have to deal with both the Giants going on to the NLCS and the the Dodgers losing. Well, hopefully the Orioles take it all. Yeah, that'll be fine. I'm rooting for that. <laughs> Not as good as for me the Do- seeing the Dodgers do it, but. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, at least it won't be a team I I don't want to see. But yeah, I'm definitely going to be rooting for the American League no matter what. Now, I'm definitely whoever yep. whoever comes out of the AL, I'm rooting for. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. I, I, that's the way I got to look at it. I got to say, whoever wins the NL, I'm not going to love that team, but I'm going to root for whoever is in the AL, whoever is against the AL. So I'm, I'm an AL fan now. I have to say for the for I know the season, I'm an AL fan. General, I don't think it's. I think it's the inferior league, but well, I I don't like the AL because the I think the designated hitter is stupid, and I think, yeah, I agree. And you know, people say, well, look, the AL has won more games than interleague play than the NL. Yeah, they win more games because they have a team that is built with an extra hitter there. The reason they don't have right. a DH, you know, you don't have a guy who can DH well typically on most NL teams because it's a waste of a spot. Otherwise, he'd be sitting on the bench most of the year, and he, no one's going to want to sign under the circumstances. Nor would a team want to exactly. waste the money on a player who who can't uh, do anything but DH for a few games a year. So, when you play in these AL parks, you're stuck missing a player, missing a good hitter that the AL teams all have. And the NL can't just sign this extra hitter for those few interleague games. And not only that, I think it's an easier adjustment as a uh, American League pitcher to like they're when they play in the NL parks. The AL players teams play in the NL parks. There's no DH, but right. the AL pitchers, the only way they have a disadvantage there is that they have to hit. But the truth yes. is that most pitchers can't hit. So exactly. So it's not like the NL players, or NL pitchers are all great hitters, and the AL pitchers are all awful. <laughs> no. Like the, most of the pitchers are just terrible at hitting. So yes. basically, the AL comes over to the NL parks, and it's actually an easier time for them because they have the pitcher spot there that gets them out of a lot of jams. Whereas in the AL, they don't have that, so they don't really have a disadvantage coming over to the NL parks, where the NL teams going to the AL parks have the big disadvantage with the missing DH and the pitchers not being used to having nine decent hitters all the way through the lineup without a break. And that's a different way to be pitching, and they're not used to that either. So it's just it's one of these things where it's just harder to adjust one way than the other, but that doesn't make those teams better. They're just built differently. And uh, um, I think if you took the AL teams 
and made them always play under NL rules, like a least common denominator sort of thing, then I think we'd see uh, a, a much different result in in these uh, interleague games overall. But uh, you know, I I will say though I'm on I'm a fan of the AL for the remainder of the season, and I, I will also say that this stupid rule of the All Star game determining the home field advantage. <laughs> I guess this year well, I'm, I'm glad it exists, but I, I think it's a ridiculous rule. It's funny, though, because every sports fan complains about their own all-star game. Like, obviously, I'm in Canada. The big sport here is hockey. And people complain to no end about the all-star game because it means nothing. And people have actually suggested that they should go to the baseball system. So really? they complain because it means nothing, and then in baseball, people complain because it means too much. Yeah, I, so, I, I was happy. With I don't know. You want what you don't have, I guess. I, I think I think it should mean nothing. It should just be a, a fun contest between the two leagues, and 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 put a bunch mm-hmm. of really good players together and see what happens. That's that's. I I don't think it should mean anything, and uh, yeah, I, it'll be funny. Well, it's if, it's different for baseball too because it's it's not contact. Like people say, yeah. the NHL All Star Game is boring because nobody will hit each other. Because obviously, to get injured in a game that means nothing is stupid. Yeah, you know what be so funny? it's kind of a boring game. But you know what would be really funny and a laugh if this happens if the Cardinals make the World Series and they get burned by the fact that Wainwright grooved that pitch to Jeter in the All Star game. If they get <laughs> if they get burned because now they only get three games at home and that ends up costing them. Yeah. Like, they, like they lose it's game possible. seven. I'll I'll laugh at them if they if the Cardinals lose game seven to the AL team. I'm going to laugh at them for. Wainwright's stupidity with that. I, I, I couldn't believe Wainwright did that exactly for that reason. Here the Cardinals were a contending team. Here this game does actually mean who gets home field advantage. Why would you ever do that? It's not like you're it's not like Wainwright pitched for some awful team that was never gonna make the postseason. Like why would he of all people yeah. do that? It was really dumb. But And he was playing for his own manager too. Really strange. Oh yeah, that's true. Yep. And uh, if the Cardinals beat the Giants, I guess they'll be that same manager once again for next year's All-Star game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe one day one day I'll see the Dodgers make the World Series. And I, I guess it saved me money because I would have gone to the NLCS and the World Series. And mm-hmm. I always insist upon sitting in good seats if I'm going to go. So I would have been out some money, but I would have been happy to be out that money. I actually got a good deal for the one game I went to. And uh, I saw the only postseason game the Dodgers won this year. That's true. Yeah. They actually have a good record against the Cardinals when I watch. They, uh, I, I went to a Cardinals game in the postseason in 09 they won. I went last year and they won. I went this year and they won. They think the Dodgers need to hire me. And then they'll get past the damn Cardinals. So, thank you, Daredevil, for being a part of this show. And You're welcome co-hosting once again thank you to the live audience for always being there in the chat room and making your irreverent comments and correcting me when I'm wrong when Dear Devil's not doing it and I keep hearing from different people who listen to the show and kind of appear out of nowhere and say hey I've been listening for seven months or whatever and uh, always new people popping up and I like that and it's always interesting to hear how people found the show a lot of times it's because of some big story that's going on that Poker Fraud Alert stuck its nose into. So whatever way you got here, happy to have you and uh, be here every week. Be here next week, October 14th at 6.30 p.m. as usual. Thank you to the free roll donors 
And, you know, anybody else wants to co-host the show, as much as I like having Daredevil, it is a revolving door of co-hosts, so anybody wants to join me in the co-host booth, you're welcome to do so. You can do it from anywhere in the world. Daredevil, welcome to come back whenever you like, and I'm sure we will have uh, many more episodes together of Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Sounds good. Thank you, everybody, and see you next week. Shalom. Shalom.